Alice took up the fan and as the hall was very hot, she kept fanning herself all the time she went on talking. Dear, dear, how queer everything is today. And yesterday things went on just as usual. I wonder if I've been changed in the night. Let me think, was I the same when I got up this morning? If I'm not the same, the next question is, who in the world am I? Ah, uh, that's the great puzzle. sweet hearing you say nice things about your dad <laughs> I don't say nice things about my dad well he was a good storyteller I'll give him that It's the Lost Rewatch Podcast here on Post Show Recap Stock in Season 4, Episode 10, Something Nice Back Home. Um, wouldn't that be nice, Mike Bloom? Something nice back home. Like that wistful idea, Mike, that we are far enough away from home to be nostalgic for it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you ask, wouldn't it be nice? And we're dealing a lot with the Beach Boys and girls this episode, Josh. So the musicality speaks for itself. Oh, my God. Is that a tease that next week uh, you're going to open up the Cabin Fever episode with the Beach Boys? Yeah, I mean, it's we're going be, from uh, Bruce Springsteen to the Beach Boys. Instead of Little Red Corvette, it's what? Yellow Volkswagen Bug? Is, Is that a song? Drives? I don't know. <laughs> oh, I suppose that's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, fun, fun, fun till her daddy takes the kidney away. Yeah. Oh, wow. Or the <laughs> appendix, as it were. Uh, here we are. Something nice back home. If you thought Jack's tattoos were a to do, wait until you see about his appendix. Oh, oh my God. So many needles and knives going into this man and drugs as well. So we talked about this last week that this was of the 12 episodes. Whether you love them or you hate them, I would say that this is on paper, probably the most forgettable episode of season four. 
However, I got to say, after watching this episode, Josh, I found myself really enjoying it. This I feel like you really liked this one. Yeah, this is, in my opinion, an incredibly thematically rich episode that I did not remember watching it the first time around that I think kind of lifts it up from maybe some of its its wonkier elements. You I have mean, to I lift won't it up. Uh, yeah, I won't get into the ratings, but this, I think, is, at this point we're recording, by far the biggest standard deviation we have ever had in an episode of Lost so far. I've seen it as low as a 2.2. I've seen it as high as a 4.1, mm. Josh. And I'm certainly, uh, you know, not on the, the higher, or uh, not on the latter end in that regard. But I don't know. It's something that I, I really enjoyed. I, I believe that the Jack's appendix plot is a is an odd one, especially in the middle of all this action stuff, especially the way that we ended things in the shape of things to come. But I know at the time, it really was stated how this plotline kind of harkened back to those old-school season one elements. Yeah. And I really feel like that's the case in more ways than one this episode. Yeah, I think that, uh, I walked into this thinking, like, all right, let's just, like, pull off the Band-Aid. Let's just get out the appendix. Let's, let's just watch the episode. Uh, thinking that, like, my kind of, like, feeling coming into this portion of season four is that um, these episodes are better than the ones in earlier in season four that I don't like because there is a sense of urgency and there is still some element of like uh, a chess piece's quality to both this one and Cabin Fever, I think. Um, mm-hmm. But like now, like you're in like ch- uh, like the end game of a chess match. Like now, like important pieces are falling together. Um, and so like it's it's like scarier. It's more intense. And I think that there's like something a little ballsy to the idea that like they were hit by the writer's strike. They couldn't finish season four the way they wanted to. And yet they still made time to take out Jack's appendix. And this wasn't like something they really had to do. Like you see him starting to get a little bit sick towards, uh, towards like meet Kevin Johnson, I think to a degree, or maybe it's Gian where you start to see him like sweating a little bit. Yeah, but like, I mean, it's, it's, it's tough to distinguish because Matthew Fox is always sounds extra- incredibly winded every time he speaks. He's always Lost. very, and he's always very intense and like, sort of just like, like that vibe, you know, that vibration about him. So like, you know, it's hard to know, but like, I think like they were like good vibrations. They to were, quote the artist. I'll be parroting. Like, so they like, were, Oh, well, you know, there you go. Like it does, it does track. It's got just, precedent. Just tap it out on the keypad and then the comm will go through. Uh, you know, like, I feel like it's got this, this, uh, like, did it have, did we have to spend the time to take out Jack's appendix? No. Did they really want to take out Jack's appendix? Yeah. What does it reveal to us? Among the things it reveals are, um, effectively, not quite, but basically Jack and Juliet's big final interaction. Um, like they will interact again, but like, this is sort of it. This is sort of the breakup, uh, in, in many ways. And it's like a mostly amicable breakup. I would say it gets a little awkward. Um, but I did do this thing, Mike, where I, I walked into something nice back home and I was like, okay, well, I'm going to watch this one. I'm just going to get through it. You know, we got to talk about it this week. And then I was like, huh, I was actually, I had a really good time watching that. I think I'm just yeah. going to pop on cabin fever. And then I popped on cabin fever and then I was like, huh. I had a really good time watching that one too. I think I'm gonna like pop on the first hour. <laughs> There's no place like home. Down and then the I just, rabbit hole. I went down the hatch. I I ended up in a in a night like starting at like 10 p.m. and then going through into like what like almost two in the morning. Like I just like binged the rest of season four. So that happened. Um, like that's where I'm at right now. So I've like very recently just crushed the end of season four. Shape of things to come. Kind of like 
shook this bottle up and I couldn't mm-hmm. but pop the cork. Uh, and here we are. So that's like what I'll say about um, something nice back home, which I don't think is like a game changer of an episode. I don't think it is like one of the greats, but I think it's very good. It's definitely yeah. on like my very good list. Uh, it's definitely an episode I enjoy revisiting. There's some stuff about it that's really hard to watch. Um, but I think it's like about the level that I'd put cabin fever which to some people i think is going to be sacrilegious of a take um but i think like these two episodes are sort of like they're kind of like episodes that are just like there to to help you get to the three-part finale and to also thematically underline what's going on with the man of science and the man of faith as we're moving Mm -hmm. into some significant end game territory with both characters yeah, and that's the thing is that this is an episode that I am, again, watching it especially at the time of season four, you're like, why do we care about Jack's appendix? Alex just got killed. What the hell's going on? Who's in the cabin? And so it, it did sort of play off as why are we stopping down again, just like we did last season to learn more about what's going on here with Jack. But I find the off-island stuff is is far and away my favorite part of this. You know, you might say, do we really need a flash forward of, of Jack and Kate living together? But I do think there was an essential piece missing of Jack's off Island life mm-hmm. as to how he got to that place of through the looking glass. You really can't like we do with a lot of flashbacks, like connect a to B to C. There was a huge a to C going on and through the looking glass and to see his downward spiral connected to so many different things both on and off the island i find incredibly fascinating there's just a lot of things that are going to echo throughout the rest of the series here between you know jack's downward spiral even a call back josh i would call you know we we started this episode uh with the clip talking about a, a white rabbit in alice in wonderland this episode is kind of the spiritual sequel to white rabbit in my opinion. And these are this in both episodes, Jack Shepard is struggling with leadership uh, in, in white rabbit. He is uh, being mentally unraveled in something nice back home. He's becoming physically unraveled. And as a result, it is affecting his standing in the group. Of course, there's uh, this idea of seeing Christian off Island, and that's even tweaked a little bit with his visiting Claire, or at least what we think is him visiting Claire on Island. But also white rabbit is about, a man of 815 being foisted into the leader position. And interestingly enough, Josh, it's a small note of something nice back home, but we see Jack sort of fade from the leadership position. And in his place, we see two people step up who are going to be seminal to the on Island stuff in season five in Juliet and Sawyer. These are both big episodes for these characters. And I find that really fascinating that again, even in, all of this destruction and chaos and twistiness and, you know, screaming that's going on in this final spiral of season four that we can kind of take a second and look at where these characters are going to go as soon as next season, both on and off Island and see how something nice back home. I do think plants those seeds and thematically resonates, even if the per- the delivery of it might not be as up to snuff as some of the best of the best episodes. I really do appreciate a lot of the narrative strands here that are going to connect to episodes that we're going to cover in the next while on Down the Hatch. Yeah, I think that there's there's stuff in here certainly to talk about. Um, one thing that happened for me while watching this episode over the course of like, and, and not just watching this one, but watching the uh, the whole remainder of season four in a single night, uh, as I was like already pretty sleep deprived and 
probably shouldn't have done this, but I just kind of had to. Sometimes healthcare comes in weird forms, Mike, uh, mm-hmm. as I know you know. Uh, I have like this galaxy brain moment uh, where I was like, I think I got it. I'm pretty sure I figured out how the smoke monster is able to get to the freighter. I'm oh. pretty sure I figured out how the smoke monster is able to get off the island and be in the hospital with Jack. Uh, even though I know that that's not everybody's take and it's, it has not always necessarily even been mine. I think my take with that has always been like, eh, it's just some, like, it's, it's some more lost bullshit. It's a ghost. It's a bullshit, you know? <laughs> it's like, what is that? Oh, some bullshit. Um, I think I may have something. Okay. Um, but I'm going to need to like, cause it's now days later. We're going to need to like squeeze this out of my head. Uh, so let, let's see, let's see if we can't do it, which may be an apt metaphor based on the idea that I'd had. This could be like, crazy a crazy handful of nothing in breaking bad terms or it might be something i don't know either way like that the most something it is is just like internal canonization right like it's not Mm -hmm. gonna ever be like this this is what it is but it was like i and not that i even really really care i still love lost even if this stuff doesn't work but just like i had one of those moments where it had been a long time where like i'd spent any meaningful amount of time like trying to like really sort of like game the theory Maybe I've got something. We'll find out. We'll get all into right. it. I'm happy to be your workshop here as we, as we, you know. We may not think, get it all today. Like, maybe this will no. be over the course of the next few podcasts. Who knows? I, I think, I think, let's say by the end of season four, we're going to give, like, the either myth-busted or yes. myth-verified on, yeah. on your theory here. Yeah, we'll see. All right, well, before we get into today's podcast quick shout out to our sponsors for this episode of Down the Hatch, our friends over at Geico. Do you own or rent your home? Sure you do. Fortunately, Geico makes it easy to bundle your home and car insurance. It's a good thing, too, because having a home is hard work. So go to Geico.com, get a quote, and see how much you could save. Geico.com. Easy. Mike, you know what else is easy? Going forth into the jungle to talk about yet another Kitsis and Horowitz joint directed by Stephen Williams. Something nice back home. It's their third of the season. I believe yes. third out of 10 episodes. They have written a third of the episodes basically in the season so far. Yeah. So they're back. Well, you know, there's only so many, right? There's only so many episodes that they've got this season. Something nice back home. And Mike, we begin, uh, as we like to say, sometimes around these parts, we open on an eye because mm-hmm. of course we open on an eye and we open on the beach. And uh, I, I gotta say, it uh it's not looking so great for your boy Jack. Let's listen in sound number 1. Jack. 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 I need you to wake up. Jack. Can you hear me? You okay? What happened? I want the truth. I don't know. That's the truth. I'm telling you. I don't know why, but there's no signal now. Signal? What? There was a signal when you called them last night. That's right. So, so, so what? Now they're just ignoring us? How are we supposed to know why they're not on? Oh, oh, I mean, in you. case you haven't noticed, we're not on the bloody boat, are we? Just watch your tone, Rip. I just want to know why. 
Everybody just needs to calm down, okay? Jack, these people are lying to us. I know they're lying. You know what? Sooner or later, their people are going to come back for them. And when they do, we'll be waiting for them. Unless they run off again. Listen to me. Jack, are you all right? No, I'm fine. Just have to be patient, okay? I've gotten us this far. I said I was going to get us off the island, all of us. I promised that I would. Jack! 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 Jack. 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 Oh, he's not looking so hot. Oh, he's not looking so great. The whole situation is pretty charged and loaded and not fantastic. And then when, like, Jack is just, like, collapsing in a heap in the middle of it all, it's really especially bad. Well, you can tell even from the first shot, though, right? Because, like you said, it's it's a trademark of Lost to open on an eye. But this one's a bit different, right? Jack's eye is staying closed for a significant amount of time. Jack's was the very first eye to open, and it opened starkly. I feel like that's what we usually get with our eye shots. Here we are lingering on the fact that Jack is slow to rise. There's also the angle of the camera. It's not straight on like we're used to here. He is like lying sideways. That to me is an initial indicator that we're sort of, you know, to quote Alice in Wonderland, right? We are we are not the same today as we were the day before. And it's Jack should have drank that potion, man. I told him. Listen, uh forget what the Dormouse said. Uh ring your head. So yeah, it looks like Jack is losing control in so many ways, right? We're, we're reeling from the revelation in last episode that Daniel finally admits, like, well, we weren't exactly... We weren't gonna actually res- going to rescue you. If I'm and so now honest. they're sort of squaring off, mostly, I would say mostly Charlotte is squaring off with Bernard and Rose. Yeah, to continue Bernard and re- Rose are just, like, reading Charlotte for filth. What does Rose say? Watch your tone, Red. Which I love it. I guess, well, with Sawyer gone, I guess someone had to take over yes. and sort of like the Sawyer of the camp. And so, of course, it's Correct. going to be Rose. Yeah. Uh, and I mean, you know, I can understand Charlotte's perspective here, right? Where she's basically saying, like, stop yelling at us. We don't know anything else. We don't know more than you guys do. We don't know why they're not getting to us on the freighter. But of course, as sort of the representatives of the freighter folk, they're the ones that are receiving all the complaints, Pawnee Town Hall style. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh man, that's that's very evocative. I'm just thinking of like all of those people showing up at the beach, like Gary Gergich talking to like Jack, being like, "But this guy's not going to rescue us. Come on!" Everyone's like, "Shut up, Jerry." Yeah. I have a complaint. There's too many papayas here. Too many. I need papayas. the papayas to be gone. Yeah, they got to move the papaya. Uh, they've got a lot of thoughts about the pit that Anna Lucia dug on the other side of the island. Uh, <laughs> yeah, the soil fell into the pit. Yeah, certainly they're going to have a lot to say about the uh, the Swan Station construction site in the 1970s when we get there. Yeah. So Jack is really trying to put on a brave face here, right? And again, in a callback to that season one stuff, here comes a typical Jack Shepard motivational speech, but he cannot be Michael Jordan in, you know, in the in, uh, the NBA finals, or even Leslie Nope when she got the flu to make a Parks and Recreation reference. He is very clearly, like, just at a loss for words. And basically his last words are like, I promised that I would get everybody off the island before he passes out. And so is this the island? Is it the island turning Jack's appendix sour? It's a good question, because we're going to get into this later on with the sound, actually, as to as to Rose 
bringing that up with her whole conspiracy theories. It's tough because I would like to believe not, but I we also know that, and we're going to get into this in season five. Jacob is kind of a dick. Yes. And so I, w- I don't think it would be past him to say, oh, this is one of my number one guys. This is like my main candidate at the moment. Uh, He can't leave. Boom. Your appendix is about to rupture, my boy. Yeah. Do we mistake coincidence for fate on this one by saying that the island is giving him appendicitis versus this was just a long time coming for Jack? I'm not yeah. entirely sure. I think that's certainly like I think the show would like to vibe it out that since we know that getting off the island is a thing that Jack is going to regret, uh, that maybe just maybe this is the island being like, yo, don't don't do it like you're not supposed to do it. And so, like, I think like we're supposed to think that at the very least. I think there could be something fun here, though, from a, a metaphysical perspective that Jack up to this point has trusted his gut he just discovered that his gut betrayed him from a metaphoric perspective. Now it's become literal. Right. And that his body is even turning on him, right? Of like, you thought you could listen to your instincts, but your instincts are dead wrong on this one. And it's going to end up with a bunch of people being betrayed and possibly killed. So it's going to get bad for him both on the island and off of it. But first, it's going to be great. Uh, because we skip forward in time. It's the first full Jack flash forward of season four. Uh, second overall. We're counting, of course, through the looking glass. How could you not? Yeah, and, uh, and I believe it's that's nine total. And it is interesting in that, you know, we haven't really gotten any Jack in season four so far outside of the stuff from the beginning of the end when he and Locke have split up. I think just due to the nature of splitting things up between the two camps, between the freighter stuff as well. Jack has not really had many moments to shine. He's been very singularly four. focused, right? Like he wants to get everybody off the island and then he's also getting sick. And there's also a lot going on on the show up until this moment. So, yeah, it makes sense that like there's not a ton for him to do yet. Uh, that's all changing. Like the rest of the season is very, very heavy uh, when it comes to when it comes to Jack next week. Not as much, um, but certainly this episode and then that three parter at the end. Uh, but in the future, like Jack's current situation isn't great, but at least in the future, uh, the one, uh, I love her, man, Mary, man, uh, like that Jack and Kate shall date. Uh, I don't know about fate, but Jack and Kate shall date in the future. Uh, Jack is like, he's, he's picking up the phone. There's some lingerie on the floor. There's the Millennium Falcon that he steps on. Like his hurt toe on a toy is his biggest point of injury. Um, but he, uh, then he goes into, uh, into the shower with Kate, uh, popping out and big, uh, smoochy, smoochy times in the future off island, at least for a time. Jack and Kate were together and, uh, I'm sure. That it's like the collective, uh, the collective uh, uh, eruptions of joy everywhere, Mike, from all the jaders watching this on May first, two thousand eight. Uh, maybe because then you you cheer and then you wait for a second and remember how through the looking glass ended and realize oh it's not gonna last mm-hmm. and it, it might get very ugly. This opening scene has a lot of fun stuff in it. Uh, speaking of the Millennium Falcon, as you said, I want to read a piece of feedback from a great listener of the podcast, Jesse Camacho, who really indicated something that is a lot of fun that I did not realize in retrospect, where Jesse says, 
In the episode Something Nice Back Home, the writers throw in a fun little love triangle nugget that I enjoy every time. To better appreciate this, we must remember that several times Damon and Carlton refer to Sawyer as their Han Solo. In the opening of Something Nice Back Home, we see Jack in a flash forward walking around what we discover is Kate's house, and it's revealed they're now romantically involved. The fun little nugget is that while Jack is moving around the house, he steps on one of Aaron's toys and mutters, son of a bitch. One of Sawyer's frequently used catchphrases. And what is the toy he stepped on? The Millennium Falcon. And so one of the other things that I really like about the flash forwards in this episode, Josh, is finally acknowledging the lack of Sawyer there. Right now that the Oceanic Six has really been revealed in full, we can now officially say Sawyer does not make it off the island in right. this thing. So we don't need to necessarily make vagaries of, oh, he'll be I, he'll be wondering where I am. Right. And so I, I'm glad that we sort of embrace the Sawyer in the room, uh, or not in the room in this case, and we'll get to it much more in Season 5, but this is just, even before they talk about Sawyer explicitly, this is a fun little nod to it, that Sawyer is, like, living rent-free in Jack's head, even at this point, with the catchphrases that he's spewing out when he's stepping on his Star Wars analog toy. It's a little weird. For me, Sawyer is also living rent-free in my head in this scene. Um, I don't know that it's always been this way. Uh, but I, I, it was, it was, it was a little weird for me to like, just like get on board with Jack and Kate, um, in this timeline because it is, it's such a jump from where they are on the island. And I don't know what the fix is necessarily, uh, to get us to a place where like this like level of normalcy of like playing house between the two of them comes across as anything other than a little bit weird. I think that to a degree that's, there's like, that's the point. To some extent, Mm -hmm. like I think to some extent, like it would be great to have something nice back home, um, but that's not what you're meant for. Like you're meant for something else. You've been through something else. These two people who've been through a trauma together, uh, a a very specific shared trauma that not only are only like the two of them among the only like five adults in the room who can relate to it, but they are also not able to share the truth of their circumstances with basically anybody. Right. Um, so like they are like in this very messy lie together. And so they continue to messily lie together as they, I don't want to say messily lie together again but there you go um <laughs> i mean listen we, we don't exactly know what their bedroom habits are let's so not speculate I, I, you further on that so i think it's fine um as far as it's like pushing that idea i think where it gets a little tough for me is like when you try to like map this onto like them as like sort of like this great final love story like it just mm. i i don't know that it fully is hitting for me on on this watch i think it's hitting for me much more of like Kate is certainly in love with with Aaron, right? Like she's in love with yeah. being Aaron's mom and I think that she is trying to move on and Jack refuses to move on and it's not even that she still loves Sawyer in any sort of way where she's like I'm going to get back together with Sawyer. She's trying to like do right by someone who she who she loved in a certain way and she feels at least that she'll never see again. Um and and then like Jack is someone who's important to her but like I don't know like it doesn't it doesn't totally totally read to me like the like the really deep romantic connection between these two if that makes sense at all. It does because I think that we've talked about this that I think over the course of especially season 3 the love triangle stuff is not like incredibly built out from the Jack Kate side of things because they really had their time in the beginning of the season, even though that was more Sawyer and Kate stuff. 
And we had, you know, the because I love you moment at the end of season three, which really, again, still comes out of nowhere, that it does feel a bit of a hop, skip and a jump to now see them passionately kissing outside the shower, which is also an interesting callback to season two when Jack walks in on Kate taking a shower in the Swan Station. And it's quite the opposite uh, encounter in terms of trying to, you know, shirk his his gaze and try to awkwardly get out there here. They are like fully embracing the shower aspects of it all just shows, you know, how much they seem to have changed based on where they were on the island together. But I think due to the nature of just how they were plotting out the relationship up to this point, it's a lot like skipping from stone to stone, whereas maybe the Sawyer and Kate stuff was more like a bridge, yeah. you know, a, a smoother, more singular path to take. Yeah, I think that makes sense. I think one of the things about uh, Kate, um, and like the handling of Kate specifically is like the decision, like she has to end up with someone. I think I, I just, I like the narrative better that like, you know, she, she could love these people in different ways without it having to be like end all be all star crossed lover yeah, type stuff. Yeah. I mean, I listen, I would have loved if, you know, the spinoff from lost is, you know, my two moms of Kate and Claire raising Aaron, you know, together. not for nothing, Mike, uh, you know, she's going to tell Jack at the end of the show, I love you. And then he says, I love you. Like that could be just for, for him, you know, that really could be like, yeah, I mean, Ju- Juliet's going to speak about that later on, right? That sometimes Jack does yeah. things that people do things just to help the other person. Yeah, like it could be just for him and like to, to give him something nice back home from back home to take with him to, to his final stages of life. And not for nothing, the thing that wakes her up is not Jack. The thing that wakes her up is the birth of Aaron is yeah. her son. You know, uh, you know, this this like, you know, family that she, you know, has between herself and, and Claire and, and Aaron that hopefully thrives after all of this. So I think I may choose to believe that, like, Kate loves Sawyer and loves Jack in like very specific ways that don't have to be like quantum entanglement type like Desmond Penny stuff. And she's, like, with him in the church at the end, too, because, like, I still really care about you, Jack. Like, it's not like she doesn't care about him. Like, she absolutely cares about him, I think. Uh, right. But I'm, I think I'm going to read it like that. I think I'm happier reading it this way. So, in that case, going back to your something about Mary metaphor, is Aaron Brett Favre? <laughs> then he's like, comes in at the last minute, and she's like, oh, I choose you. Weird. No, because she does end up with Ben Stiller. Yeah, oh, spoiler, like, but, sorry. Uh, Poof. Uh, yeah, I guess who's who's Woogie in this case? Is that uh, uh, uh Woogie is uh, Sullivan with the rash uh, yeah, back in season that, one? Is that um, Nathan Fillion's character? <laughs> no, he's Woogie. Woogie is Sullivan with the rash from the first season. We haven't seen it. On. Maybe got killed with a golf ball. Yeah, who knows? Uh, that would be good. The something about Mary theme song to open up Cabin Fever could be great. Oh, so you're just, uh, I'm just, I'm, let me make an entire album to put out about Johnny that they don't know. Let me also criticize a bit of Jack's sort of like morning routine here because it is a bit <laughs> confounding to me. Okay, all right, great. This is what we do here. Yeah, this is well, good. Well, first, like, what is the layout of this house where he gets up, makes like a whole circuit to the kitchen to make coffee? And then goes into the bathroom to shower. Is the bathroom just located so far away from their bedroom that he feels like I can make a quick pit stop to make coffee? Who drinks coffee on their way to the shower while they're half naked? Who's wearing oh, me a every towel day? That me every day, every single day. So you, you while on the way, mm-hmm. half nude, yeah. say, "Let me choke down a quick cup of Joe yeah. on my way to the shower." Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Also, why is I guess good on Kate? You truly love someone if you're going to kiss him with like not only morning breath but coffee breath Correct. as well. Because I'm assuming Jack probably did not brush his teeth as well in this odd oh, morning. Oh no routine. way! Yeah, there's a few things in like the do- the domesticity. Did I get it? Domesticity. Yeah, there was a nice, I don't know, affect to it that the, made it sound very mid-Atlantic-y. The, the domestic life, the sweet life of Jack and Kate, <laughs> uh, that doesn't quite add up, at least as like uh, uh, as John Locke would say, meat and potatoes in the real world. Uh, like the whole like going around with just like the shirt. Uh, no pants like seven times in this episode. I feel like that's yeah. not real. That's not real. Like, I don't know. Like, no one's like morning mouth making out unless like it's real. I mean, I guess like they are in like that really twilight pre engagement phase. phase, honeymoon phase. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah that doesn't really happen know. though. That's more like, oh, gross. Yeah, no way. Like, oh, God, Jack, don't. Did you brush your teeth? God, ugh, yeah, you no. slob. Yeah. Why don't you, here, your turn to take the shower. Go shave your stubbly ass beard. Though it should be they should both that- be wearing like hoodies and sweatpants and like flip flops, and that should yeah. be like they should be wearing like and it's it, given the time, it's like two thousand what two thousand seven. They should be wearing hoodie footies. Do you remember those? I don't. What are hoodie, hoodie footies? Footy. <laughs> a hoodie footie is like uh, it's sort of like uh, it's like a fleece uh, that you wear. It's like a pajama pants suit. That's what they should be wearing. <laughs> Wait, is it connected in one? Piece? Yeah, it's like a onesie. Yeah, they should so be wearing like a snuggie. those. Yes, yes, yes. They yeah, should. I think I think if, if this instead of 2007, it was 2010. You know that Jack would be slinking <laughs> around in his snuggie. <laughs> yeah. You well, know? The, one, of the, one of the reasons why he's shirtless is because one of those other blinking you miss it details is you see a very noticeable scar on Jack's left side when he is making coffee. And we had another piece of feedback that I thought was really interesting when talking about you know why. Why did they keep the appendicitis through uh, the rider strike? And this is from Snorri Johnson, who basically said, you know, uh, seeing this, the scar, I honestly believe they knew that Jack would die by a stab wound in that exact place and that they would show an appendectomy scar in the flash sideways. Yeah. Think about it. It's known the writers knew from the beginning that Jack would die in the series finale. They definitely knew in season four that season five would be a time travel season, which means they almost definitely knew that they were going to have these characters blow up Jughead and mislead the audience with the flash sideways in season six. So I think this episode's purpose was almost solely to be able to call back to this moment in season six without giving away the ending. What do you think about that? Wow. Uh, I think probably ultimately not. Um, That being said, what I think it absolutely is, is a great example of a thing that they can point back to where they're like looking back at like the lore that they have built for themselves. Looking back uh, at the lore uh, much like we are doing by perverting running jokes uh, from this podcast. Oh, and even taking other words from other podcasts that we do as well. <laughs> perverting. You know, perverting. Yeah, exactly. So, like, I think, like, it's, like, the kind of thing where, like, they can call back it. You know, like, I think that they've got that ability. Um, so, I think it's like that. But, like, look, if they, if they were to come out and, like show us proof that like yeah no we were thinking about this now it's like you know what screw you everybody 
These guys are doing great work. Everybody, (laughs) that's next week. Uh, (laughs) Oh no, just add it to my album. Are you keeping track? You have a medley to record, Mike. Yeah, I was gonna say if we weren't recording these nine days early, I would definitely ask a hatchling to like just make note of all the parody songs I have apparently enlisted myself to do. Let me throw another one at you: Cabin Fever, Cabin Fever. Yeah, that's pretty good. Oh, got like Night Fever. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a lot like Night Fever, Mike. Uh, Speaking of the nighttime, uh, let's get to the scene uh, that we listened to at the top. Of this episode, it's Jack reading a bedtime story, Alice in Wonderland, to Aaron. I want to give a shout out to a great friend of the podcast, a co host of mine on the Westworld podcasts when that's happening here on Post Show Recaps, the legendary Lost uh, community member, Joe Garfine, who I believe wrote um, a, like, a, like a really epic paper on Alice in Wonderland's connection uh, through through Lost. Mm. Uh, and so, as anytime Alice in Wonderland comes up in a meaningful way, I just always want to make sure to shout out my friend and yours, Joe, at Joe Opinionated. Uh, I think it would be it'd be fun to, to hit her up and, and ask her if she can link out to that stuff. Because uh, I know mm. that she has spent a lot of time thinking about the Wonderland of it all. Um, Mike, how does it apply here in your mind, like this moment of Jack reading to Aaron. Is it like he's in Wonderland? He's in sort of like, I don't know, Wonderland isn't exactly like a happy fantasy land. No, it definitely isn't. It, it, it's topsy-turvy, I think, is what it is, which probably speaks to the nature of everything that's going to happen to these people. They really thought that they, you know, had had sort of gone through their trials on the island, and now they can go live a happy life, find something nice back home, but they've gone quite literally through the looking glass, and their lives will forever be changed i do think there's some interesting there's some interesting sort of meditation on the question but if i'm not if i'm not the same the question is who am i right right we've certainly have seen this idea with a lot of these characters including characters like sawyer john locke even to a certain extent hurley how can metamorphosis essentially change who you are as a person something that i found incredibly interesting about this scene though is after they read the story Kate calls Jack unnatural. And this is when Jack goes into the thing about, you know, Christian used to read this the, the book to me. He's a good storyteller. I'll give him that. It's what he does. But I wonder, let me go back to the Snorri Johnson question, Josh. Do you think Kate calling Jack unnatural? Could this be a David Shepard foreshadow? Mm, maybe a little bit. I mean, I think it's certainly like, I think one of the things that's like sad for Jack is probably like, you you see it in his afterlife, like the kind of dad he would have wanted to be, you know, yeah. the kind of dad he felt like he didn't have. I think there's a lot of power in that. Um, and so I think like you're seeing him like, you know, really struggle with that. And then like being here in this moment where he could be this child's father, basically, but it doesn't like it's not right. You know, and I think also there is something very powerful, though, because this this baby is uh a biological relative like this is right. this is his brother right or his nephew how does yeah it's his nephew yeah, it's, his, it's his nephew and so and to that extent yeah because we also need to couch that especially when jack is going to confront kate later on so he knows that right because i know that he yes, does the funeral, he he has right the funeral for christian shepherd and then carol littleton approaches him so i wonder if that's another thing as well is jack maybe again to to it's one of his his foibles as a character is that he takes on so much so much of other people's emotional burdens i also wonder if another reason why he has brought himself so much into kate and aaron's life especially in comparison to as kate Kate points out in this scene from their last scene together in Eggtown, is that he realizes like 
this kid has no one in his life. I need to be that person. I know how important family can be and how its absence can really make the heart grow fonder. Let me be in his life and maybe get some Kate on the side as well. Yeah, I think like this whole thing is like very challenging for him in a lot of ways. Like it's like a very sort of like, uh, you know, confronting thing to, to be, um, you know, faced with like kind of like a memory of a couple of few different types of memories, like the memory of his dad, uh, and like how this, this wonderful child who he has known for this child's entire life up to this point. Um, was a, a living embodiment of the ways in which his dad was a flawed person. Uh, and it's, yeah. and then that's a reminder of the ways, now I'm speaking as Jack, the ways in which I'm a flawed person. Uh, and it's also a reminder of the ways in which he abandoned people on the island that like in his haste to get everybody out, he may have bungled this. People died. Uh, and those who didn't die got like sucked into some sort of strange bright light time vortex. And to acknowledge that is to acknowledge that John Locke was right. There's, it's very heavy. And I think a lot of that threads through Aaron. It's, you know, in many ways, it's no mistake that, um, it's no coincidence rather that I think he starts to have a bit of a breakdown the deeper he gets into Aaron's life. Cause I think Aaron really is rather evocative of all of the different ways in which jack's life is just like kind of torn asunder um yeah and it's he's really an avatar uh but also speaking of of avatars in a, in a certain way you know things end on a bit of another sexy note as we mentioned i guess kate and jack are still in the, the hot and heavy part of the the caught in the net stage of their relationship because basically after kate you know compliments his storytelling skills she wraps herself around Jack as they make out. And besides you thinking like, whoa, why are they going old Rupert and Laura Bonin on this? <laughs> this is this is sort of like an odd piece of Kate body language when it comes to showing her vulnerabilities, right? Because she did that with Kevin. She did it with Nathan, the aforementioned Nathan Fillion, a.k.a. Woogie. And she did it with Sawyer as well. And so like, it, it does sort of seem to be like Kate's move, but I think it also maybe is a symbol of her really finding happiness Security, in a yeah. partner on a, Yeah. Like almost wrapping herself around him, knowing that she can hold him tight and knowing that he'll be there. Yeah. Well, I think like the, the uh, a charitable read, at least in terms of like the Kate and Jack stuff is like, they've been through so much together that like only they can understand. And so like, even if like, I think charitable read for like somebody who's not like really feeling Kate and Jack together in this moment uh, is that like they've been through so much only they can understand and like it has inspired like much more closeness and like I think like as they're like living in a world now where they're not constantly being hunted by the others in a smoke monster and like the oppressive conditions of the island that they're just like able to be more comfortable with each other and certainly Jack has always loved her um, but maybe she's able, like, maybe she's like falling in, if not in love with Jack specifically, certainly like falling in love with the life that they're building together. But I do think that, like, in this moment, like, I think it's not until like Jack really biffs this. Uh, I yeah. do think that she's, she's in it. Like, I think she's authentically yeah. very much in it. No, she very much seems like, I think maybe out of all of the Oceanic Six, she's the person that is easiest to sort of move on from everything, especially now that the trial is over and it seems like she's made good with her mom at this time. Like she is ready to, to invest in Aaron and then just, just move on with the rest of her life. It's just due to these other circumstances that we'll get into throughout the beginning of season five. 
that is going to bring her back there. But I think, unlike everyone else, she doesn't have any unfinished business on the island at this moment. Erin is her unfinished business. Yes. All right. So, um... Back at the beach, Jack is, like, not doing well. Everyone's, like, trying to give him, like, different orders of, like, what you should do. Here's the water. Get some space. Uh, and he just, like, you know, does his thing. He just kind of walks walks away. Jack is pretty aggravating in especially the, the present storyline in this episode. Because he really is that guy, like, no, I know myself better than anybody else. I'm fine. It, I should if I my legs could be cut off and I'll still make sure we get on that freighter, which, again, is a, is a foible of Jack that we love about the character, but it doesn't make him any less frustrating. He's a very frustrating character in the jungle. We've got miles and Sawyer and Claire. Uh, so the beginning of the miles and Sawyer friendship, although it begins very tensely, uh, they're not getting along super well. Yeah. Well, you know, as we talked about, miles has said, I'm sticking with eight one five for the time being, but his orientation is not super great. I, this is another reason why, as I mentioned before, it's, it's a fun call forward to a lot of stuff that like you said sawyer and miles despite one being called the new other one have not interacted really at all yeah up until this point and so it, it's going to be not only a fun interaction of these two wise guy characters but also a very you know a very meaningful one considering the role that they are going to play each other's in each other's lives in the flash sideways universe so it's fun to sort of see much like we saw you know Hurley and Charlie Bond when Charlie was trying to impress Shannon back in the early days of season one. It's, it's fun to watch a bromance blossom, even if, to your point, there not only is there a third wheel involved, but, you know, one wheel is telling the other wheel, stay away from that third wheel. Yeah, stay away from that. The, uh, you've got a restraining order from that wheel. Uh, it's going to make the thing hard to drive. Uh, Claire's going to talk about how, like, at least I'm not seeing things anymore. Uh, the Ben behind the curtain shall note that this is from a deleted scene from The Shape of Things to Come where she sees Christian. Uh, I think we we, t- we touched on this a little bit about this idea of, like, was, was Claire going to start having visions and stuff? So I think they're, like, trying to seed that idea of of Claire seeing her her father at this point, which, of course, we know it ain't her dad. Not really. Yeah. So this, I mean, we'll talk about this. The Claire stuff is so sudden. I do think this is one of those things where if they had a bigger episode order for season four, I wonder, do you get not necessarily a Claire flashback episode, but maybe like a Claire trippy dream sequence episode where she's following her own right rabbit in the form of Christian Shepherd. And that's why she gets know, so guided away and sucked I, into his vortex. I know Ben really feels, uh, the Ben behind the curtain really feels that season six needed a Claire episode. And I actually think that that's very correct and that there's really no good excuse for her not getting one. Considering the episodes that we do get. Um, no shade, no shade to what is, you know, uh, you know, a, a very popularly dumped upon final season of a show. But I think like even in like the rehabilitation effort of the show, or even if you like love the final season of the show, I think like there are definitely episodes that are expendable and could be better if we were focusing in different directions. And the fact that there isn't something that is exploring a little bit more about Claire, because it's also an opportunity to enrich the monster. To enrich the yeah. man in black and make that his a much more compelling character. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Like, look, look what he did to one of the eight one fivers. Got them on his side. Well, not even that, but also there is like this effort. I think a deeply misguided one um, in the final season to like make you think that it's possible that that guy isn't the worst thing on the planet, right? Like, or that this guy isn't capable of just like uh, that. This guy might not be all bad. 
right? Mm. Like that there may be like uh, a reason for you to root for the character. I think like there are ways in which like trying to dimensionalize the man in black is not a like a for nothing effort. I think that the way that they do it is sloppy as hell. I love the idea. Like I'm so like I'm so in on it. Like I think the the season five version of the man in black is the best version of the character for sure. Um, but I I think like if that is something that they're like massively interested in, Mike, they need to like you know give us more of a reason to believe that maybe that guy is on the level and like that could be explored in a Claire flashback episode potentially. Let me bring in, speaking of digging deep on Claire, a theory. We're throwing out all the theories today. Just get the feedback in early. Why not? Let's just do it. We're all out of order. It's wonderful. Let me me throw in something from Jim Fells, of course, providing his fantastic music analysis, which I will also try to pepper in over the course of this. But Jim has the idea that last episode, we wondered how, how was Claire able to nuke the fridge Indiana Jones style and stay alive and unharmed from when her house got blowed up in the barracks jim theorizes that she didn't that she did and here's why he said he brings up several points explosions kill people and we pretty much know from danielle's team and saeed how the man in black is able to resurrect and infect people to have them join him he notes that when sawyer goes to wake up claire the first thing she says is charlie which you might initially credit to as oh she's so disoriented that she thinks that sawyer's charlie and forgets that charlie is dead But he also notes that that's the first thing she says when waking up in the flash sideways. And so like with Juliet, this could indicate that she is close to death, even though he admits the writers might not have thought that far ahead as to, you know, putting in that particular writing device. As we mentioned before, he says the deleted scene shows that Claire sees Christian at the barracks already back in episode nine. And then in this episode, in this scene, actually, Claire mentions that she was feeling woozy, much like in season six, when Saeed was resurrected by the man in black. He felt lightheaded. Uh, and then Miles seems to know that there is something off about Claire. That's one of the reasons why he's really hovering around her in this episode. And Jim knows that he, he sort of has the same disquieted nature around Saeed's not-quite-dead, mostly-dead corpse in LAX in Season 6. And then he also notes the moment Claire interacts with Christian slash they might be directly, she's completely under his spell and even abandons Aaron. Right. This, too happens with Saeed in season six. So essentially what Jim is saying here is, you know, if the question is how does Claire easily abandon her child and join up with what she thinks is her dad? Well, maybe the thought is that that's because she's already dead and was just that easily to to sway over because she's already a spirit. Okay. So, so she's like, as we're interacting with her in this episode, though, she's alive, right? Like she, she like died in his back. Is that what we're saying? Yeah, or we're saying she's a ghost. It's a, it's a season six side thing. Where like okay. She died. She died man, in black man in brings black her back. Brought her back yeah. essentially as like his soldier. Of like, okay, I'll bring you back to life, but you essentially like follow my orders. I can, I can I can totally play with this at least to an extent for sure. Uh, I think that this speaks a little bit towards the idea that I have about how the man in black is able to get to the freighter, how the man in black is able to get off the island to a certain degree. I this is this so this like let's start like talking about it. Yeah. Um, because we are moving into a territory with Lost where we need to start talking about the infection. We are moving into a territory with Lost where we need to start talking about like how the show chooses to to answer like they were infected by they were seduced by the man in black. 
that's what happens to Russo's team, right? Like we yes. see Montan and his missing arm, uh, <laughs> and like, we see him get sucked down underneath the temple. And when he uh, like calls back to them, like it feels like that's the man in black, like shouting out to the crew, right? Like it feels like he yeah. just like killed Montan and now he's taken on Montan's likeness. Like, hey, everyone, come down here! It's, it's I'm definitely not Pennywise the clown. <laughs> We've got cookies. You know, to the point that it's like very Pennywise the clown of like having removed the guy's arm. Uh, yeah. and it's like, come on down here. Like, <laughs> we all float down here. You'll have a great time. Yeah. We all float on the little pool of water that Ben drains when he wants to see me. So like, so, so we know that the infection in the eyes of the show is that we know for sure that, um, there, there are moments where it's like the man in black, like the smoke monster is suggested to be a driving force behind like fixing people from like near death, at least. Mm-hmm. With Ben, yeah, right? With like with, baby, with ben. baby Ben Linus. Yeah. Mm-hmm. With baby Ben, like they take him, he won't be the same. So he is perverted, Mike. Uh, baby Ben Linus, and it's a big driving factor behind like why Ben himself is such like a like a dark dude because he's got the darkness. He's got uh like the island changes you, right? And life changes you. And if like the island is the metaphor for life, then like there are ways in which you take your experiences in life and they fuel you and fuel you in beautiful ways. And they you know transform you. The friends that you make along the way and that you hopefully meet in some sort of weird sideways afterlife meeting spot. You know, uh the, like there's that piece of it. But then there's also the trauma and the PTSD and the terrible things that happen to you along the way that you take with you that you pick up and carry forward like Tom friendly with a football uh, and like that stuff may be elements of like if it's being like literalized on the show for dramatic purposes like is that not some of the man in black stuff and so like I think like you could see that in Ben as a character we end up seeing it in Saeed and I think like an argument that the show probably like clumsily makes is that the spirit of good can still triumph like mega evil that can like it can still win out over the darkness that has now corrupted your heart. Like you could still battle that back and you can come through on it. It's not absolute power corrupts. Absolutely. If you're still reminded of who you are underneath, there's also at some point we can get to it, Mike, that, you know, Desmond's supposed to be like this uniquely electromagnetic guy. And then Syed has a conversation with Desmond and maybe it's just like, Oh, Oh yeah. Forgot. Totally. Uh, Desmond. Thank you. Anyway, that's neither here nor there. Um, but is there a world in which, with through encounters with the man in black or even by virtue of like being on the island with the man in black are there elements of that guy that leave with you are there like mm. are there like are there aspects of the island that leave with you that are not like necessarily like the man in black with full agency necessarily um but are like pieces of him and can there be ways in which he intentionally implants some of that stuff like are there are there times where like he knows that like he's he's leaving and it's like it's sort of like um it's like uh i'm gonna spoil the prestige the movie okay. the christopher yeah, nolan movie have you seen it Oh, I have. Yes, okay, I've seen great. both the procedure. Well, at the time, I saw the illusionist in <laughs> yeah, theaters. Yeah, sure. I it's a common the story. Norton side of things, but I did go see the prestige later on on home video. So the the prestige spoiler alert 
don't listen if you haven't seen it yet go watch the movie great movie the prestige like Hugh Jackman's whole like magic trick ends up being that he's just like cloning himself ad infinitum right and like then he's dying and he's like having the experience they're not all having shared experiences but then like who's the copy who's the original uh that kind of question like I think it might like in in like sort of my theorizing of this like that would be the man in black's experience off island is that he's only like able to like exist like like in like a fleeting way um is not connected to like the main powerful smoke monstery island dwelling man in black but like elements of him are leaving and elements of him can like be like kind of like messing with jack uh mm. you know that could be like the the christian shepherd in in the corner when the smoke monster when the smoke alarm goes off things like that and one thing that made me think about that a little bit more is actually something that's going to come up next week in cabin fever when john is going to have his dream right like he's going to see horace in the dream and like that feels very clearly like that entire episode is the smoke monster is guiding john Locke to him because he's ready to make his final moves he's getting there he's in he's in this final seduction phase of like let me get john Locke. it's all happening like we're he's gonna like the island's gonna move and once that happens it's really basically go time smoke monster's been like waiting for a very long time for all of this stuff to happen and in the grooming phase of that there is this horace dream this horace goodspeed dream Dream. And we've talked about this before of like, are the dreams coming from the island or are the dreams coming from the smoke monster? And I think it's an argument in favor of the dreams come from the smoke monster. And if the dreams are coming from the smoke monster, it's the smoke monster with its little wispy tendrils, which we joked about back in like the season three uh, premiere. He's like sneaking in through like the comm yeah, the system speaker, in, yeah. in the in the hydra station. He's like, hey, <laughs> hey, it's me. It's your dad. You know, and he's just like messing with Jack. Is he not uh, able to, like, manipulate your dreams, manipulate your brain, pervert your brain a little bit uh, and and be with you in that way? And in that way, is there not a piece of him that's with Michael to some extent? Um, so that, that's like I don't think that that's like a very uh, clean way of articulating. But that's sort of like what I'm starting to chisel away at as far as an interpretation. What you're essentially suggesting are like mini monsters. Yeah. There's this idea that like and pieces like finite, of the monster- and they need the host and they can't be there without the you know like they're like, they're, they're like tied to the host they're fleeting yeah, they're, to some degree they're like the putties from Mighty Morphin Power right. Rangers right they're they're teaming and they can often you know pack a punch but they also refer to a central host figure that they don't nearly wield as much influence but hey off island they might drive you a little bananas by just appearing in certain places to that extent though I mean. You could then make the argument of like, could could uh, what Hurley be seeing right. at certain points be the smoke monster? I was wondering that. I was thinking about that, uh, and I don't know. You know, uh, insert big Yoda. I don't know energy here. I don't know. Maybe uh, I was thinking about that of like the you ha- you can't raise him or you're you're not supposed to raise him stuff. Um, how much of this is like actually Charlie speaking to Hurley versus like? Smoky McSmoker, uh, Smokerton stuff is like messing with him. I'm not sure. Yeah, we're we're, we're definitely gonna have to. I want to puzzle this out more because, like you said, I do feel like next week is is seminal uh, to that understanding. But I, I really like to chew on that. That's I, a it's really just something to chew idea. on. Like I, I'm I'm definitely not sold on it. It was just like that was some galaxy brain stuff that was happening. I think that I I hit on a a, a good amount of it uh, just now. That like is that what the infection is? Is it like 
it, it's like the darkness of the heart stuff that the yeah. monster is like in, in imbuing in you. Like it's not just the light of the island that you're taking with you. It's the darkness too. Yeah. To go back to Jim Fells's comment, I, I like this idea too. For now, I do wonder how much that influences the season six stuff. And like after the man in black dies, Claire is still around and is able to leave the island. So like, is that okay? Is it just that his perversion has removed itself? I mean, does she die on the plane? I mean, it could yeah, be like, very does, dark. Does she, like, as soon as they cross away from the island's border, does she just like immediately turn into a corpse uh, right there? Is it only that because the man not. in black is alive that she can stay alive? I don't know. That that's another part that I feel like needs to be puzzled out. But I love this. This is why. This is one of the reasons why we love Lost. It's like coming up with all just these about that. wild theories, even years, decades after the fact. Yeah, and I ultimately. Just to be very clear, don't give that much of a shit. Uh, the show is great, and like I, I don't need these answers. They were just fun to think about on a random yeah. like Monday night. Yeah, uh, no, a good another good question to ask. Uh, why are Kimi and the Mercs such bad diggers? Because <laughs> Miles is able to feel yeah. Carlin Russo. We get a little bit of a glimpse behind his power, right? And that he's like literally, I think, hearing slash sensing the last moments that occurred at the end of Meet Kevin Johnson. Right. And all he really needs to do is just like uncover what two inches of brush to find their faces poking through House of Black and White style? Better question, why did they bother? Kimi, Kimi and his crew seem to have like such disregard for life. Like, Why did they even bother burying them? Yeah, to them it's just like a fresh kill, right? Like they were going hunting. I, I am surprised that they didn't like throw them into the ocean or something. All right, back to the beach. Jack thinks that he's been food poisoned. Julia Sun's quickly, yeah. Uh, Julia quickly. <laughs> that's right. Uh, I've been through this before. You gotta arrest Sun. Uh, <laughs> Listen, I don't want to say anything, but somebody has done this before. I'm pretty and sure you might it was be looking Sun. At Sun or Kate. I think it was. The, I think it was them. Uh, Julia, it's like, nah, dude. Let me just like push on your stomach. Yup, appendix, appendicitis. Uh, it's no good. I I love Juliet in this episode. After a couple, she's of, amazing. Of, yeah. After a couple of trips in the doldrums in the other woman and Gion, I she comes back in such a badass form here. Even the way that she ends this act break, right? With like, well, I just I guess we're just gonna have to take it out. Like she takes charge and then some, uh, and she knows how to deal with like bad patients again, given her medical experience. And she is also the type of person where. And she's unfortunately used to this, given how much crisis management she's had to deal with during her time on the island. She knows how to take a situation that looks perilous, blink at it, say, all right, let's figure out how we can solve it. And then, like, move in unflinchingly. That is what is great about Juliet Burke, among many things. Yeah, absolutely. So she's ready to go. She needs son to go to the medical station. She gives her the list. Daniel wants to actually I know what all this stuff looks like I've done a lot of animal autopsies it's like cool weird but good uh and so they decide to trust Faraday and Charlotte even though Charlotte well, is really uh making an argument to not be trusted Charlotte is uh, you know she really was wise in keeping her mouth shut last episode while Daniel was digging a hole for himself uh that was much deeper than the one the that Kimi dug for Russo and Carl but man Charlotte's making up for lost time here by being such a negative Nancy. Uh, yeah, I wish and I liked I up, the character more. I just don't. I just yeah. Like, and this is and this is one of those things where it's like you know there there are moments that I wish like we could have seen more yeah me know, too. depth from Charlotte. But I do love 
I do love Faraday here saying, you're very bad at it. Your attitude, your very bad attitude is, is exactly why they don't trust us. Yeah, yeah, I do like, like that. He, too. he uses the moment to basically be like, okay, I need to throw my ally under the bus to come across well to these other people so they can trust me. Also, again, another fun callback to many things in Juliet initially sending Sun to the staff. Not only does she know where it is from DOC, but I feel like it's also a bit of a call to the fact that back in the day, Sun used to be Jack's number one nurse in season one with all the medical stuff. Yeah, that he was doing. it's true. So she's back at it again. Uh, they hook up the Quans with a gun, shoot them in the leg if they choose to run. Uh, uh, and, I, and I'm glad that, again, I, I guess that in looking at the files, Juliet sort of knows like Jin's past, but it is interesting that she gives him the gun specifically of like, listen, I know you know your way around like shooting to harm, not necessarily shooting to kill. I know you can get it done. Yeah. So they're not going to move Jack because were they to move him, Mike, his appendix could rupture. And if that happens, he dies. Josh, do you or anyone close in your life have you ever had an experience no, with not appendicitis? Me. No, have you? Yeah, so a couple of them, uh, both my own, sort of tangentially, and someone in my immediate family. For me, uh, when I was 17, I had E. It's coli. a very good year. Uh, well, it wasn't because I had E. coli, and I spent a week in the hospital, but it really was one of those like medical mysteries for the first three days or so where I was just super dehydrated and basically couldn't keep anything down. Wow. Um, there was It was everything from like, I might have ulcerative colitis. When they did a CAT scan of me, they thought it actually might have been my appendix. Luckily, I did not have to deal with it, but a member of my family did. I remember this clear as day. I want to say it was either 2016 or 2017, but it was the first weekend of May because it was the the weekend of the Kentucky Derby. I remember that Angela and I uh, had a visit from my parents who like were seeing us and then they were on their way to a derby party because Connecticut. Uh, and I remember that the story is like my mom got to the party and like just wasn't feeling very well. She'd wonder if she had eaten something wrong. And then like a couple days later, she got home from work and like sank to the floor in pain uh, as soon as she walked through the door and they took her to the hospital fun fact out of the four members of my family three of us have you know stayed a good amount of time in the emergency room to the yeah. various medical maladies in this case for her it was like appendicitis and she had to have an emergency appendectomy uh, wow. because basically like it had burst over the course of that weekend so luckily you know nothing in the realm of, of rupturing my mom was still able to I guess move freely from station to station as it were I also know I remember back in the days in college when, for one reason or another, many people had mono. I can't imagine why. But mm. I remember there was a, I don't know if this is an old wives tale, but I do remember sort of the the the, the uh, diagnosis being thrown around there was like, one of the reasons why you can't do much movement when you have mono is because you could rupture your appendix and die. Oh, I had no idea that that was the thing. Uh, I don't I've, know. I, I never had mono. Have to fact check me. Those of you hatchlings in the audience of the medical professions might need to fact check me on. But that's a, that is what I had been told of like, oh, so-and-so can't do this because if they move their body in any like jarring way, it could rupture their appendix. Um, all right. So they're not going to move Jack. Uh, they refuse to do that, which is probably wise. Um, so that's not going to happen. Meanwhile, at the Creek, uh, the Creek, uh, there is going to be, uh, some restraining orders are going to be filed here. You don't get to look at her. You don't get to talk to her. You have a restraining order. Miles is really resembling Charlie here. I don't know. I don't know if you saw it, Josh, but maybe it's just between like, the hood, 
between him looking real seedy as he's sort of like looking down Claire, I was very much getting Charlie season two vibes and not in a good way. Yeah, they were setting up a new uh, showmance here, I think. Just kidding. No, no, no. That would have been fun. Um, All right, let's go back. Let's let's go back to the beach. Uh, How about this? Let's go sound number two. Uh, We are going to hear from two of our favorites, one of whom is really breaking out potentially as a a season four MVP. Let's listen in on Rose and Bernard. I am sure Jack is going to be okay. An appendectomy is just about the most common kind of surgery there is. That's not what I was thinking about. I was thinking, why did he get sick? Why? It's just just bad luck. The day before we're all supposed to be rescued, the person that we count on the most suddenly comes down with a life-threatening condition, and you're chalking it up to bad luck? Well, what are you saying? That Jack did something to offend the gods? When people get sick, Rose... Not here. Here, they get better. You don't uh, get sick here, Mike. You get better here in the other. Yeah, it's it's a fun reference to these two characters, and it's I feel like it's something you would almost see in a missing piece, maybe in a very different type of season. Right? That oh yeah, these two characters would have the type of interaction to it, but usually we don't really reserve a bit of a, a one-minute scene for, like, the C-list 815ers. But I think due to the burgeoning role of Rose and Bernard in this season, we get it here. And I, I like the fact that they called it out, that Rose, of course, would feel very paranoid because, hey, if the island can just make you sick whenever you want to, I better not, you know, step on anyone's toes or I could have cancer and die yeah. right here, right now. I think she is showing worry for one of the few times that we have seen a very usually strong-willed woman on Lost. And it's, it's a really interesting look at her. You know, I always treasure the moments that we see Rose in particular, especially with her and Bernard, before they're going to go off into their jungle adventures in the near future. So I think this is a, this is a fun little snatch of things uh, before Bernard goes off to serve as Juliet's, I guess not number two, number three, because Kate gets the number two spot, as we're about to get into. No, Bernard is definitely the number two. Uh, Kate is Jack's choice. Um, mm. Which is a, I guess, uh, some problems that I have here with with Jack in this one. But I do just want to take the moment to say, like, I really love Bernard in this episode. I yeah. Think, I think Bernard is just fantastic. He has some moments that are great. He's like, just let us knock you out, man. Why are you doing this? And then later <laughs> yeah. when he's just like, sorry, I agree with Juliet. It's time yeah, to knock love, you out, man. I love the fact that he's he's certain, but he's like still polite about it. Like, oh, I'm so sorry I have to do this, Jack. I really do like you. But like, yeah, she's right. We're going to have to knock you out. So you stop whining and yelling at us while we're trying to take your appendix out and prevent you from dying. It's pretty good. Um, anyway, so... Uh, so Juliet is is uh, is this where she's shaving Jack? Yeah, she's shaving his chest. Let's be clear here. This is not like a full body <laughs> Brazilian deal. She's this is what happens when you get surgery, right? Like Jack has a hairy belly. Obviously, when you cut into that, you but don't he want like gives her some caught. some grief. Like if you you know if you've done this before, you know it's a little lower. She's like, I'm just cleaning the area, you jerk. Yeah. So this is uh, the beginning. I, I mean, I really do feel like the entire episode was from the start was really Jack backseat driving his own appendectomy. But you really get it here, right? Between him saying, "Oh, you're actually two inches too high," between him insisting, "Oh, well, actually, I don't want you to knock me out. I want you to just 
essentially give me Novocaine, anesthetize me, while I use an elaborate series of mirrors, prestige style. <laughs> this so is Rube ca- Goldberg that, that device. Yeah. will be holding so I can see my own surgery and guide yeah. through it. Yeah, it's crazy. He's a crazy dude, for sure. Uh, so but, he- but, I, but it's, it's so interesting because it, it also shows, I think, a lack of control. Yeah. by Jack's part as well. I think he is good at certainly abdicating things, especially when it when it comes to, you know, someone he trusts like Juliet, but I feel like when he is of concern, he for lack of a better term refuses to let things go. Correct. In that regard. And yes. so I think, you know, it shows that even though Jack is fine letting people go out on missions for a better cause, he's still like, "No, I'm the doctor. I have to do my own surgery here. I don't care how much medical prowess you have. It's my body. I- I'm operating on it." Yeah. Um, so he wants Kate to do the mirrors so that he can look in. It's so strange. In the future, Jack is at the hospital, is closing out a thing. He sees out of the corner of his eye, he sees Christian Shepherd. According to my, uh, crackpot theory, he's got a little bit of that man in black itis. He's got a little of the smoke monster goo, uh, mm. pouring out, whatever the hell is going on here. Either way, it doesn't really matter. He sees Christian. Um, it's, it's it's also noteworthy that I believe later in his office he is looking at someone who has uh, a tumor on their L four vertebrae, which is also the same the vertebrae that Ben vertebrae. Linus. Uh, yeah, Ben Linus had a tumor on as well. So vertebrae. clearly th- these things are following Jack. Yes. Uh, so he's going to get the call that there's some stuff going down at Santa Rosa with Hurley, which I guess like if you wanted to get to like another. Uh, crackpot theory, Mike. We've talked about how Santa Rosa could be a hot spot, right? right. That Los Angeles in, at large is a hot spot. Would your time in Los Angeles just exacerbate whatever dark energy you've brought back with you from the island? Uh, would it? Would it amplify it, Mike? Would it make? Would it make you? <laughs> I don't know. Would it, would it make you a little more smoky? Smoky. Yeah. Exactly. Does it turn you into the mask? Yeah. Somebody stop me. Apparently oh at my. the end of the season is gonna have a PART. Why? Because they just got back from the island and they yes. can all use some lightness. Yes. Uh all right, so let's go to Santa Rosa. Jack is going to sit down with Hurley, who has not been taking his medicine at all, and it is going to be a conversation. To remember, and in fact, a conversation to listen in on. Let's do that right now. Hey, Harley. Hey, Jack. Why aren't you taking your meds? Because we're dead. All of us. All the Oceanic Six were all dead. We never got off that island. Early. That is not true. What'd you do today? What did I do today? I, uh... I woke up. Took a shower. Uh, Kate and I fed the baby. I thought you didn't want anything to do with Heron. I changed my mind after the trial. Living with Kate? Taking care of Aaron. It all seems so perfect. Just like heaven. Just because I'm happy doesn't mean that this isn't real, Hurley. I was happy too, Jack. For a while, anyway. And I saw Charlie. 
He likes to sit with me on the bench out on the front lawn. It's pretty cool, actually. Okay. So what do the two of you talk about? Well, yesterday he told me you were going to be coming by. He wanted me to give you a message. A message? made me write it down so I wouldn't mess it up. You're not supposed to raise him, Jack. Does that make any sense? No, that doesn't make any sense. You think he means Aaron? Hey, Jack. Charlie said someone's going to be visiting you, too. Soon. All right, so you're not supposed to raise him, Jack. So, again, another fun callback here. So, just the idea of Aaron being raised by Kate and Jack was sort of actually a prediction that coincidentally comes true from one Richard Malkin, right? In Raised by Another, Richard Malkin put Claire on 815, saying there's a very nice couple in Los Angeles who would raise the baby. They're not strangers, Claire. They're good people, Right, is exactly what he says. And you could say, if he was indeed, you know, looking ahead at what was to come, that could technically be Kate and Jack. They're not strangers to Claire. In fact, one of them is related to her. And they are very good people. Uh, you know, uh, that's a bit of a subjective term. Very good people. But, you know, I, it's, uh, it's, it's an interesting thing for, quote unquote, Charlie to then send a message saying, well, no, 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 actually, you're not the one to, to raise him. I also realized in this watch through, Josh, that there's actually a lot of parallels between Jack and Hurley's paths at this moment. And the way they deal with similar circumstances speak monumentally about their characters. What, what you know, Jack is, is sort of doing here with the Christian stuff reminds me a lot of what Hurley did with Dave in the eponymous episode. And there's even a little bit of Dave environment here as well, right? With Hurley saying, oh, no, we all died. Uh, the Oceanic Six actually died leaving the island. You know, we're living in our perfect paradises here. But there's things like they both ask for Clonopin. Uh, over the point, the the various points of those respective episodes, they both think that they're seeing dead people again, whether or not they are, but they believe that they are seeing uh, a figure from the afterlife. There's even an effect where on the fridge there are paper cutouts of like a flower and a ladybug in Jack and Kate's home that are exactly the same as the cutouts in the Santa Rosa medical facility. So it's a really dynamic path that these two are going down, right? Where their reality is being questioned. And the question is, why do they end up in such completely different places that, yes, Hurley gets a little depressed, as we're seeing in this episode, but right. he does not fully go down a bottle like Jack does. And I think it's it's there's a difference in a number of ways. First, Hurley had an anchor, right? He had sort of a constant in the form of Libby, who is there standing on the cliff to say, what you're, what you're experiencing is real. Pull yourself out of this fantasy. I'm here. You're here. Let's make the most of it. 
And while I do think Jack has Kate to serve as his hanger, or hanger, uh, maybe he is very hangry if he's just been drinking coffee yeah. and taking showers all day. Uh, but as his anchor, I don't think Jack is that type of person to like openly reach out and embrace that. You know, he's a man of science. He is he is someone who is probably incredibly spooked about what he saw and doesn't want to tell anybody about it. That's what happened in White Rabbit. He was chasing his dad around the island, and really, until he comes over a cliff with John Locke, really doesn't come clean about anything he's seeing because he's afraid of how that will be received. I can absolutely imagine that Jack, while Hurley reaches his arms out wide, Jack withdraws into himself. Yes, yeah. And so... And, yeah, so I, I think that even in the moment we'll see later when Jack is, like, staring at the bench that Hurley says he talks with Charlie at right now, he's basically thinking, like, okay, I don't want to end up like that, so what can I do to, you know, bring myself away from that idea? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think a lot of that really tracks. Not for nothing, too. You know, like, none of these people have been able to, like, talk about the fact that, like, they saw something, like, irrefutably mystical. They watched the island disappear. They're in the right. helicopter when the big bright light flashes because Ben spins the frozen donkey wheel and the island disappears. And like they can cheat it a little bit by like they look away from the bright light. And then when they look back, the island's gone. But no, like the way that they frame it is when they look back, they're seeing like the ripple. Um, and even, even, either way, like the island is there and now it's not. You know, that's not that's not nothing. Um, so like it's. It's it's something that they haven't been able to to access. And so I think like for for Jack, there is this piece where like the lie, you know, was built to protect the people who stayed behind. But I think that the the lie serves this other sort of like nefarious purpose in that it is um, it's suppressing this undeniable truth for the man of science. He doesn't have to confront the faith part. He doesn't have to confront like that can happen. And so none of them talk about it. So none of them can really confront um, sort of like the the mysticism that's surrounding their lives right now. Um, I don't know. Yeah. There was a point to that, I promise. But, but, but I think, you know, that's that I think that it, to your point, going back to this idea of like the the bottle and the cork. Right. It's like shaking up a carbonated drink that I think all of this has been building underneath, especially for someone like Jack, who, again, feels like the bastion of this big lie and keeping everyone together, keep it secret, keep it safe, that you, you're starting to see him boil over when things begin to unravel. It seems like the thing that really just sends him from one to ten in this scene is when Charlie's message is, you're not supposed to raise him, Jack. Right. Uh, which really just gets a rise out of Jack. And yeah, you're not supposed to get a rise out of Jack. Um and I know that there's a couple of theories here too. Like, is this like foreshadowing you're not supposed to bring John Locke back? You're not supposed to raise him. You're not supposed to try and bring him back to life. But that's not what the show does. So like, I think if anything, like it's sort of like, sort of like cutesy dialogue to make you like chew on that a bit, like mm. in between seasons and in sort of the lead up of like, oh my God, they brought John Locke back to life. That kind of thing, you know what I mean? Um, but I, I don't think that there's, uh, I don't, I don't think that, like, I don't think that it's. Look, if it, if it is the smoke monster speaking through Hurley here and like messing with Jack, then the smoke monster certainly wouldn't want to advise Jack against raising uh, John Locke, because that's the integral yeah. part of his plan. But the smoke monster might want to drive a wedge between Jack and Kate and Aaron possibly to get them to come back to finish this whole thing off 
Yeah, or it could just be Charlie being an asshole for could Beyond be. the Grave. Yeah, you're not supposed to raise him. I mean, hey, that's, that's very mine. in character with Charlie. Uh, that's Claire's baby. Yeah, you yeah. Know? <laughs> it's because I, I don't know. Like, does Charlie, in being Beyond the Grave, does he have the capacity to know exactly what happened to Claire? Right. Right. Like, does he know that she abandoned Aaron and that essentially the rest of the group has been taking care of her? If not. And he just sees Jack and Kate taking care of Aaron. He's like, what the bloody hell just happened? That's not right. That's not right at all. Yeah. Yeah. So and he's not even wearing the ring. Interesting stuff. All right. At the staff station, I think like the thing to really like sum up here is that like Daniel uh, and Daniel's really just like doing his job. Jin and son are having some sweet moments together. And Charlotte is really giving up the game that she understands Korean. Yeah, she really has no poker face in this regard. Before we get into it, it was funny though because like there was this first part where like it's sort of subtle, and I was like, "Oh, I'm glad I was looking very dead eyed directly at the at the screen. Otherwise, I would have missed this subtle thing." And in my mind, I was like, "Oh, they really it is a pretty subtle thing uh, yeah. that that Jin picks up on." And then like they're talking more, and like Charlotte is now just like giving them the eyes. It's like, "Oh no, it's actually not that subtle at all." Yeah, maybe it's just that she doesn't know Korean that well, and she's, like, looking at their lips to see if what the words are that, yeah. so that she can really recognize them. I will also mention, this is totally outside of Lost, but, Josh, I watched these episodes on Hulu, and in the commercial break, right before this scene, before the act starts, I saw a commercial for a new ABC show called Rebel, starring none other than Helen Norwood herself, Katie Seagal. Hey, how about that? All yeah, right. so it was, it was very oddly lost time. You know, there's there's all that talk about how much social media platforms take what we talk about and what we, we look up and try to curate content based off of that. And maybe that's manifesting here. Maybe yeah. who said, oh, this person was on Lost a long, long time ago in two episodes, or actually more than two, because she'll show up in season six. Why don't you enjoy a new sitcom about her on ABC? On ABC at 9 p.m. Yeah. There's also, uh, I feel like the the whole Jin and Sun conversation initially before they realize that Charlotte is snooping is a fun callback to one of those missing pieces, right? When they're gossiping about, are Boone and Shannon siblings or are they lovers? When basically they call out that Faraday has a puppy love for Charlotte with him being like, uh, well, I think maybe I should go first, Charlotte, you know, just to keep things safe. And Jin and Sun are like, Oh, he wants to bone her so badly and yeah. not just the ones that she digs up in the desert. Yeah, it's funny. It's funny. Um, so she's listening in on everything. She's like, oh, okay. Uh, meanwhile, in the jungle, uh, this is going to be where Miles and Sawyer and Claire are nearly going to get eviscerated by Kimi. If not for your boy, Frank Lapita showing up and be like, you got to hide right now. Yeah, and I love that. I love Frank just bursting out of the jungle holding this random med kit because again we really don't know hero frank lapidus yeah i mean we we really don't know what exactly happened right because we know that obviously kimi had to get over to the island at some point we know that lapidus was called away on a favor but we didn't see that so now we get to see that like not only was he brought over to do that but he's clearly not playing ball with kimi where he throws them into the bushes. This is very much like ooh and found, right? When it's Jin and uh, Echo watching the others walking by, where we see that the other side of the smoke monster encounter, one of the mercs who was not torn in half is still pretty banged up. Uh, and as Aaron nearly gives up the goat and then gets, you know, everyone killed, Frank is able to talk Kimi away basically just like playing hardball and saying, okay, we need to fly right now or I'm not going to go. He even, to quote Ben Linus, uh, doesn't dispense. He puts up formalities, right? He's saying like, sir, we need to do this. Please, Mr. Kimi. Maybe because Kimi felt so flattered 
of being talked up to Please, by this lowly Mr. Kimi is my father. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but he decides in that moment, like, okay, we'll do what you want to. Bad sight on Kimi, but good sight on Frank. Yes. Uh, very bad on Kimi. Very good on Frank. A really impressive show from Frank that he is able to outsmart Kimi in this moment. And a great job from, from Sawyer and Claire and Miles keeping it pretty cool, calm, and collective. Yeah, thanks, Aaron. Yeah, Aaron, you know, he's a baby. What are you going to do? Um, all right. At the beach. Jack needs help. He needs help from Kate. He's going to, you gotta, you're going to have to hold a mirror for me. He's a terrible patient. Cause now he's also like, you should be on bed rest before your major surgery. Oh yeah. You shouldn't move around cause your appendix would rupture. Let me go for a saunter down the beach. Shall I? Today's yeah. a nice day for a brisk walk. And Kate and Juliet are now really coming together over like, God, Jack is the worst right now. Isn't he? Yeah. Yeah. He's a terrible, he's just awful. Uh, so she's going to take him a walk. If, if something happens to me, shut up. Fair yeah. enough. Fair uh, enough. And I also, I love the body language of Jack leaning on Kate as, as she walks him down the beach. Because again, like they'll have very similar physical body language off island, but it'll take on much more of a romantic context. Here is more of just like a cheeky friendship type of thing. But here they're going to be arm in arm in a very different variety. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So back in the future... Jack's been like hanging out outside of Santa Rosa. And Mike, if Santa Rosa is this hot spot, if it is, and it's just uh, cooking, cooking things in that oven, that island oven, Mike, it's just hitting you hard with that electromagnetic juju and just baking something like an easy bake oven, Mike. Mm. If that's what's happening, then it would only make sense that it's ramping up Jack's paranoia. The dark parts inside his heart are only starting to grow the seeds of doubt, Mike. Or it's just that he is a human being who's had a very complicated life where it's just been <laughs> or, pretty tough. Or he may be a human being. It could being. be that he's just a person. Um, he's still like, you know, kind of like thinking through all this stuff. He's going to drive home. He's going to wake up Kate. Very rude. This is a, a, a uh, let's just listen in and we'll talk it through. Okay. Sound number four. Kate. Hey. Wake up. Hey. Hey. Time to... It's late. I just got home. Are you working? No. I just had to stop and get something. It just took a while. Hey. What's going on? What's wrong? The other night... When I was reading to Aaron, you said that I was a natural. Do you really... Do you really think that I'm good at this? Yeah. You're good at this.
course I will, yes. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know that you wake someone up to propose to them. I feel like you let them sleep. I don't yeah, think this I mean, is the way you want to do it. I don't know. I mean, uh, you know, for all we know, they're probably going to wake up and shag some more to, to you know, <laughs> not really need even the coffee bump. It's just you're gliding on the Yikes. ecstasy of love. That's what what's get you through even the, a late night proposal. Uh, this is such an interesting choice on both of these characters parts. Right. This goes back to Jack's uh, Jack's capacity to, like, fix things. It's clearly an overcompensation from my perspective, that he feels like he is sort of like losing grasp on one part of reality. So he has to anchor himself in something he is confident about at this moment, which is his relationship with Kate. I think as we're going to get into, this is also a bit of Jack's self-destructive tendencies coming in as well in that, you know, with Sarah, it was very much this idea of like, okay, this, this is what you do now when you really care about someone, then you marry them. And that ended horrifically for him yeah yeah yet he decides to do it all over again despite what happened and kate does the same thing too both of them have had terrible first marriages but they both have the hope that this time is going to be different that that this is the person i will also know again another really fun callback when jack proposes kate responds with of course i will which goes all the way back, Josh, to their very first scene together in mm-hmm. the pilot. Yes. When he asked her to stitch him up, that's exactly of what course she replied I will. with. Yeah. That's so sweet. Yeah. I mean, so sweet in the moment, at least. I'm actually, not even in the moment, because Jack does that typical thing that we've seen Sun do a million times over the course of season three and four, where you hug her, but then you're distantly looking off, showing that you are clearly not very happy. I have a question now again about Jack's procedure here so was this like a loose improvisation do you think he had the ring the entire time and thought okay this is now when i do it that it's it's dire circumstances and now i finally pull out this this trump card i don't know i don't know i think like maybe it's like it's sort of like will this tether me back to reality like the thing that has been grounding me is this thing that's been going so well it's this magical relationship that's been happening and like it's like i just feel my grasp on reality is starting to slip Will this ground me? Like, I'm starting to, like, be confronted with some of the things that Hurley was talking about. Will this bring me back? Um, so I think it might be as simple as, as like, that. But I think, like, the, like, the, like, waking her up in the night to do this is just, like, that's not really how this goes normally, I don't think. Um, yeah, I mean, this, it's, it's clearly out of desperation. It, re- it, it, it reads to me as, like, a moment of, like, on both of their parts, they both need this. I think they both yeah. feel like they really need this. Um, it's not like super thought through. There is almost like there's like sort of this like really young quality to it, you know, uh, just like being like lost in the throes of early puppy love almost is sort of what's going on to like mask whatever problems are happening a little bit uh, deeper below the surface but anyway congratulations to the new couple i hope that the wedding goes great engagements can be hard this is tricky Mm -hmm. tricky part of the process i'm sure you two crazy kids will make it just fine oh they're making it (laughs) back at the beach mike um everyone comes back uh faraday's back 
uh, Sun and Jin are back. Charlotte's back. Jin would just like to have a quick word with Charlotte. Uh, and in fact, I think I would like to hear this quick word with Charlotte, because even if we don't understand the dialogue fully just by hearing it, it is absolutely worth listening in on. Really great scene. Let's take a listen. Sound number five. Charlotte. Yeah. Nana, I was. あ、これがのやりがあって、もう何がなかったっす。これこのステーションエスドリマイ、レッドクルーズ。いや、すみません。Perhaps なんでもなのけ無情。ヘリコプターが通るんだ。ね、あれで出るごいしょ、もっとなぎまなんで。大心が大心チンコルニョ。なんそのまんヘリコプターで通るんだ。He got you good. He heard every. I heard everything you said. Do you know that? Uh, did you uh, did you ever watch Harold and Kumar go to White Castle? I did, but I will admit, maybe I had a uh, sort of my own form of of Novocaine. Great at moment the time where uh, of the film. <laughs> Chris Maloney as Freak Show is in the car, and they're like talking about him, and he's like terrifying, and they're talking about him while he's right there uh, in like hushed tones, and then it gets really awkward, and then Freak Show says, "I heard everything you said." Uh, it's just, I've always said that with a friend of mine. So it just, this reminded me of that, of Jin being like, I know you heard me. I know you know everything. Uh, yeah. And I'm, and I'm sure Christopher Maloney could also sell a line. Like if you continue to lie, I'm going to hurt your friend, Daniel. I'm going to break his fingers one at a time. I'm going to break his fingers one at a time. So he calls Charlotte out on her nonsense and I know what you're saying. I know what you're doing. And he decides to use this as leverage. And the leverage is when the time comes, you're going to get Sun off the island safely. And she's like, okay, that's the extent of the terms. And Jin's like, yeah. And Charlotte's like, but what about you? And he goes, what about me? Uh, then he stabs Jacob. No, yeah, he, say, what, what <laughs> just you have my Jacob walking. What about you, Jen? And Jen just breaks his fingers yeah, one, at a, one time. at a time. Yeah, uh, and not the best negotiation, I think. I, I don't, I, you know, I don't, I don't love Charlotte in this episode, but I and and I love Jen in theory in this moment. But like, could he negotiate a little better here? No, just a touch. Yeah, no, but I think this also speaks to like just the giving nature of Jen. Too, that this shows how much he has thrown himself into this idea of a family that no matter what, he will even sacrifice himself if it means that Sun can leave this island, which is also, you know, so interesting in that she comes back to the island because she hears that he's alive. So I think at this point, he is just so dead set. I mean, remember the state that the camp is in, right? At this point, nobody thinks that they're leaving because Daniel and Charlotte have essentially said, like, yeah, we're not the lifeline that you thought that we were. I think at this point, Jin is saying, I need to make a deal when I can have it. And the first person who needs one is Sun. One A is maybe me. Two is maybe Sawyer. And then the rest. 
because uh, I like Sawyer. And so, <laughs> yeah. and so I, I think that at this point, Jin is just trying to like get anything that he can. I like the idea that Jin is like coming up with like the prioritized list of who gets to leave. It's like I like Bernard. We went fishing. Yeah. He gets yeah, to Bernard's leave. Bernard's good, but then but Bernard wants to stay. Right? He said that he wanted to stay with Rose, so therefore he does not qualify for the list. Bernard's leaving anyway. <laughs> Bernard, you're come kidnapping yeah, you. You're like, coming yeah, with me. He breaks all of his fingers and takes him. Uh, it's a good scene, though. It's a it's a fun and, scene. It's, it's just it's again it's, it's really crushing in retrospect. I don't want to go back to that belief worthy ending of GE on, but knowing how much Jin is really just you know strong arming getting Sun off that island, and knowing that he will ultimately be successful, but at his own expense is incredibly tragic and especially watching how and we'll really see it obviously in there's no place like home but how all of that is going to happen just so guttingly on the kahana later on all right speaking of guttingly let's go back to the beach into the surgical tent uh bernard this is, is this is bonkers this is yeah, absolutely well, wild well let's go through it quick uh bernard is gonna like to, uh, administer the anesthesia but first he's like really you know i'd like to tell you you're not gonna feel it but you're gonna feel it like, we can only, like, make you not feel the first part, and then you're going to really feel it. And Jack's like, yeah. And Bernard's like, oh, God, this guy. Freaking guy. Uh, and so they're going to open him up, and Kate's there. She's got the mirror. Jack is howling. And he doesn't, like, make it very far. The no. whole thing is very panicked because, and Because tense. here's, spoiler alert, Josh, if, if they cut you open with a knife to expose your internal organs... And you just get like a couple of, of, you know, sprigs of Novocaine like you would getting a root canal. You're not going to feel very good. While you're it'll doing feel it. bad. It'll, it will, I think it will actively feel terrible. Uh, you know, like, look, you're Tom Hanks, you're in Castaway, you got to hit the ice skate into the tooth because mm-hmm. what choice do you have? But like, Jack's got anesthesia and two doctors in the room. Sure, this is not their expertise, but they at least are better than like self administering, uh, your own surgery, which is effectively what he's trying to do. He's trying to shot call them removing the appendix from him. It's just, it's, it's like, it is the, uh, it is the epitome me it is the epitome of jack shepherd being an actually insane crazy control freak yeah i mean and there is so it leads to such heightened tension in the room when there really shouldn't be right because now juliet's saying like okay jack you've gone too far we need to put you under jack's saying no no keep going and then like he's yelling for kate and then juliet's yelling for kate to to you know help her and kate is crying showing that hey Maybe she wasn't brought in for a good reason for all this. I also do love the unintentional Rocky Horror Picture Show shout out where they're just like, Bernard, Jack, Kate. And they're all just yelling each other's names while they're trying to get through this surgery. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's very good. So they chloroform him. And I love Bernard being like, I'm sorry. I agree with Julia. This has just gone too far. I'm so sorry. Yeah, they kick Kate out as well. Jack is knocked out. Um, in the future. Uh, this is where Jack, the smoke alarm is beeping. He touches it. There's Christian. Yep. And this is also textbook Jack Shepard, right? Like something's wrong. I got to fix it. Hey, yeah. I noticed that uh, your tire was a little flat. Why don't I fill it up with air myself? Because I, I got to make sure that I can fix everything. Mr. Fix-It Jack Shepard. This whole place is so important to him, the hospital, that even the lobby's smoke detector must be addressed by Jack Shepard specifically. Crazy. Yeah. Um, though, Mike, uh, though I do, I, I do fi- Go I, for it. Yeah. 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 I, I find it a little... I don't know, inefficient for a hospital to have a smoke detector that runs on batteries, though. Isn't that bad? 
Shouldn't it be hardwired into a system like a fire alarm? I don't know. You're asking me. I've got no idea. Yeah, sure. Yes. Let's say yes. Yeah, a hard like, yes. I mean, imagine if there's a fire in the hospital and there's batteries out in the smoke detectors, you're pretty SOL. Yeah. Um. So SOS is a great episode. Uh. So I I, I have talked ad nauseum about this scene already you know we've talked about like uh you getting a little bit of that smoky mcsmoker tin off the island with you is that what's going on here do you ever read on this is there just like something like when you watched this episode and you see this scene uh that you felt like strongly about like what was going on here with christian being in the lobby I really don't, and I think that's also part of it. Again, calling back to the initial... I think it's also fine. You know, I think it's fine. But I think that that also calls back to the White Rabbit episode, where obviously we didn't know at the time this was the man in black inhabiting the spirit of Christian Shepherd. This could be nothing more than PTSD from the island, and that would be totally fine. Totally acceptable. Yeah, that's what I'm sort of leaning towards at the moment, that, you know, this is Jack. Jack is trying to very clearly leave something behind when it's very clear that he's not supposed to, right? We we talked about this with me, Kevin Johnson, and even last episode of how the island decides when it's done with you. It doesn't work the other way around. And so I could imagine that despite Jack trying to settle into this something nice back home, that the past keeps hitting him in so many ways. This is his form of the black horse showing up in front of him, a reminder of, you know, not only what he left behind, but almost what he's coming back to. As well, he's trying to settle into a normal routine, despite the fact that now his dad is dead, right? That reality right. has been confirmed, and he has been through the fire, the fire and the flames, that you, it's, it's a really awkward situation to come back to, to come back to work. I'm a little surprised that he is back at work after all this, but I suppose it beats probably sitting around doing nothing, ruminating on your thoughts. But I feel like Jack being just so so emotional after seeing christian i don't know it it just it tells me that this is might be more of an internal thing Mm -hmm. that he is seeing something psychological manifest itself and it really sends him rushing and spinning to the point where what i would imagine is the first time he's gonna get that clonopin you know referral that's going to lead him down totally. this slippery slope to addiction totally 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 um yeah i think that that's all like very deeply valid i think the read that like he's unwell they've all been through this horrible trauma that they have not been allowed to process for so many reasons um he's bottling a lot up uh and so yeah. he's gonna unbottle it with the pills and with the drinking he gets the prescription he goes home, he listens in on Kate's conversation where she's like talking about Jack doesn't get home, like she's planning something, he doesn't like that. She says it's Noreen. And so like Jack like once again thinks like, am I hearing things? Am I seeing things? I need to like sw- like swallow that down. I need to choke that yeah. down. Well, also, let's remember that the the way his last marriage ended was with him essentially getting duped was him saying, oh, there were so many signs that I should have saw in front of me. I was so busy all the time that I didn't realize that my wife was having an affair with the person that I think might be my father, oddly enough. Right. And so you can imagine that the paranoia just ramps up completely It'll destroy now. you. Yeah, he's, and it really does in this case. He is on edge after all this, and it doesn't help that he feels like history is repeating himself now with his soon-to-be wife, in his perspective, sneaking around keeping secrets from him talking about like oh it's a good thing that jack works late 
it really is a, a direct flashback to him of the fact that he felt so deeply betrayed by somebody like Sarah that yes, you know, he might've had uh, a little bit of like a, a, a dalliance with the, the, the daughter of one of his patients, but Sarah ca- carried out a flat out. Yeah. Oh yeah, exactly. Uh, from flat out affair behind his back. And you can see that very clearly hurts Jack. And that's why I think he has a lot of difficulty in letting others in. And so I think this is just him making not only a mountain out of a molehill, like making a whole volcanic island out of a molehill, and that he sees this conversation between Kate and I'm going to assume Cassidy. Maybe, maybe I know that she'll definitely have a conversation with yeah, Cassidy. Yeah, it's, on it's for episode. sure. Cassidy is my is my read on it as well. They're talking about yeah. Clementine. He's trying, to, you know, she's trying to make Clementine and Cassidy's life better. I imagine like a lot of the Oceanic settlement money is going towards that. Like, yeah, for sure, hundred. And so that's the issue as well is that when he gets the clonopin dosage, the doctor very innocently tells him maybe you should talk to someone and jack says i'll do that but through the inferences he makes in this conversation i think from jack's perspective he believes there is no one he can talk to even the person he found closest to in the world yeah right now right because like his dad's dead his mom he's barely in communication with. He just found out he had a sister who got left behind on the island, and now there's this kid that he's trying to take care of. Kate is the person that he finds so much solace in. That's why he's proposed to her. And now he's starting to think, maybe I can't trust her either. If she's right. doing things behind my back in a way that crushed me years ago, I can't talk to someone. Might as well sit down, crack open a beer, and down a couple pills. Yeah, it's dark. Uh, speaking of dark, back on the island, it's dark at night uh, as Claire is going to wake up fireside and see her father. She's going to give the classic dad. Yeah, exactly. I guess this is an IRL form instead of on a computer. Yeah, it's Christian is holding the baby. Dad? And that's, and that's Claire's last appearance in the episode. Yeah, I'm assuming it's just what do you think Christian's just like come with me? And then they walk yeah. off. Yeah. So it's, you know, I think the argument that she's she's infected makes a lot of sense. Whether or not she died and is infected is the, the other question. But she's infected at this point for sure. Uh, and I think that uh, in, like, depriving her of leaving, I think the man in black thinks that there's going to be some agency there. Why not have her on his side? Why not have someone who who he could sort of manipulate here? To whatever purposes he's going to need, um, so I think that that's definitely what's going on here. You're going to see her in in cabin fever uh, mm-hmm. at the you know at yeah. the cabin with like Christian, back. yeah. And so like that really only makes sense if like she's kind of now like on message with the man in black, and for that to happen so quickly, we know. We we need to start like reminding ourselves, Mike, of these quote unquote rules, right? Like, don't let yep. him talk to you. You know, if he talks to you, then he's got you. Yeah, and and she let him talk to her as soon as she asked dad, then he responds and assumingly they have a conversation and that's when he gets her. Yeah. Um, All right. So that's going on back at the beach. uh, Bernard says to Kate that everything went well. Surgery went well. Juliet did good. Bernard's so good at at bedside manner. Like he's so careful to be like, hey, Kate, I know it got real heated back there and we had to kick you out. But I just want to know everything's hunky dory. We're good. Go in there right now. Juliet's just cleaning up. She wants to talk to you, actually. Yeah, so Kate's going to go in. She's going to have a chat with Juliet. Let's listen in. He didn't lose that much blood. 
I got the appendix out and put everything back where it belongs, I think. So he's going to be okay. He should be fine. We just have to talk him into resting. Good luck with that. <laughs> I'm sorry I yelled at you. Don't worry about it. You had enough going on. You know, he kissed me. What? The other day when you came back from the other side of the island, Jack kissed me. It was nice. But it wasn't for me, it was for him. I'm pretty sure he was trying to prove something. Prove what? That he doesn't love someone else. another example of i heard everything you said it's over josh it's over i know you're awake right now i know you hear me r.i.p juliet burke and jack shepherd and so i 2004 to 2004 and so i do have the benefit of having watched cabin fever like immediately after this so there is like another jack and juliet scene so like their very next scene together after this is going to be very civilized uh, it's going to be Jack is in the pantry. Like a day has passed. It's like the next night he's in the pantry and he's walking around. She's like, what are you doing? The doctors are the worst patients. Like they have like a very yep. funny exchange. Uh, and so like, it's a, it's like a queer, like you're not over Kate. And like you were trying to like, you know, help me out, which I don't think is like, like full. Like I, I still feel like it's possible that there are like multiple feelings here. Like, I don't think like, this is like necessarily end all be all read on the situation. But I think like it's certainly, um, you know, it doesn't really matter because any sort of romantic feelings between these two will be saved for an afterlife scenario at this point. Right. Right. And I think that Juliet's read on Jack's kiss, I think plays mostly with, with the read that we gave as well at the end of the other woman, which was Jack kissed her as a symbol of, you know, I'm staying here. Ben be damned, I'm here for you. I don't know if it's necessarily Juliet, Jack kisses Juliet to prove to himself that he doesn't love Kate. Maybe that's involved in there. I think of more of like Jack the protector role than Jack the spurned lover role. But either way, it does convince Jack and Juliet to be, you know, much better friends than they were. A couple of, I wouldn't even call them like romantically involved, just exchanging a few kisses uh, and then some like fun hushed words at the cereal pantry in season three. Yeah, I think that that's probably right. I think like, look, I think it's totally, you know, it, it's it, it, I I think that he has feelings for Juliet in the same way that I think that like Kate can have feelings for Sawyer and Jack. Not just locked into like having like feelings for like one human being in a specific way and that's it forever and ever and you can never like think about another person in another way again like you're a human being 
certainly like in like the duress that they are in and they're looking for companionship. But I also think that for like Juliet, what she is seeing, she's not wrong on is that like Jack is in love with Kate. You know, it's not that like Jack and Juliet have been bonded by strife and adversity and they've got like uh, mutual affection for each other uh, that could become like could blossom into something else. It's that Jack is like outright in love with Kate. Yeah, I mean, she clocks that absolutely correctly. Yeah, considering that, you know, he said, well, you know what? It's great. You're a medical professional. And you want to operate on me. But I need Kate to be in there to hold the mirror. That is crystal clear. The role that Jack wants Kate to play in his life. You know, he can deny all he wants, but the fact that he insists that she be in the room with him, even if it's just to hold the mirror, says everything Everything. about what Jack wants about Kate specifically. What Jack wants. Uh, That's another uh, song Mm -hmm, for for mm -hmm. Cabin Fever, potentially. Great scene with Kate and Juliet. That's their last really meaningful interaction again until season five, basically. They'll talk again. They've got another scene together, uh, but that's like the last biggie. Yeah, it's it's interesting to think about that. Again, we're we're sort of counting down not only the storylines of some of these characters, but like the the meaningful interactions between these characters because we're only a couple of episodes away from the. We're Ocean in the end six. game, dude. We're in book two. We're about to close out the yeah. the first part of book two. We're getting close. Like part one is a short one. Uh, we're getting close. Like we are in. Uh, we are. We are. We're on the other side. You know, we're we're barreling down. Um, Let's talk about Jack and Kate. Let let us once again jump forward in time into the future. Really intense scene in this flash forward. That's coming up. We're going to play it in full. My God, we're going to play it in full. Uh, strap in. Sorry. Sound number seven. Hey. Hey. You're home early. Where's Veronica? I sent her home. Baby's asleep. Good. Why was she here? Sorry? The nanny. She only works till four. I came home at six. I had to run some errands. So I asked her to stay a couple extra hours. going on jack why are you home so early i went to see her early today last friday why didn't you tell me i would have gone with you (laughs) because he's crazy kate and i didn't want to upset you I want to know. 
Jack. I want to know where you were. I want to know who it you were with. It doesn't matter, Jack. No, tell Please. me. Tell me! I was doing something for him. For who? For Sawyer. I made him a promise. matter it has nothing to do with us then why won't you tell me because because he wouldn't want me to but he's not here is he no no he made his choice he chose to stay i'm the one who came back i'm the one who's here i'm the one who saved you do this if you have problems you need to figure them out all right because i can't have you like this around my son your son you're not even related to him good brutal i mean this might be one of the most it's like bad brutal, brutal emotional seasons, <laughs> uh, scenes and lost is because it really does remind me of something out of like a stage play out of who's afraid of virginia wolf where these yeah. two were just taking pot shots at each other because like you said they have showed so much shared history together that when they weaponize that and use it against one another it gets ugly yeah it's not great it isn't uh it's tough and like man like it's so sad because like kate's like don't do this you don't like just let it go but you can't say those words to jack shepherd he refuses to you know unless you're boone and you're able to to eke out a nice death sentence that that's exactly what you don't tell jack shepherd you and of course that's what ramps him up into another gear i do have a question though do you think if Jack that night he proposed was more forthcoming about going to see Hurley, do you think Kate in turn would have been more forthcoming about the whole Clementine of it all? Maybe. Maybe, yeah. Could be. I think like there's like some there's some mutual dishonesty happening here. Mm. Um and so, and therefore some mutually assured destruction. Um and but I but I do think like um you know, I, I think like at a certain point, like Kate could just be like, dude, uh, like I'm just like, it's about Sawyer. I'm sorry I didn't tell you. He has a kid. And then like I'm like helping to pay and like he wouldn't want you to know, but like I'm telling you because otherwise you're going to freak out. Are you having like a substance abuse problem? Like right. there's a healthy, there's a healthier way for this whole thing to go. Um, but the way that Jack, uh, escalates it is oh. really hard to walk back and yeah. really hard to uh 
you know, it's you can't justify it. You can explain it by virtue of like he has he has uh, understandable trauma from everything that happened on the island. Uh, very deeply relatable, understand, not relatable, <laughs> you know, <laughs> very exceptional circumstances. Um, but like, uh, just like a, a horrible gaping wound in his psyche. Um, and in his side. And in his side. And like, that sucks. And like, so he's like filling that gaping wound with another appendix. No, with, with, uh, you know, with booze and lies and pills. Uh, and that's escalating him to this place where he is spiraled out of control probably pretty quickly. Like, that's going to fuck you up. You know, like, that's really going to mess with you, uh, you know, chemically. Um, and so it's going to push him like very quickly into like a version of the person that we saw in the flash forwards of Through the Looking Glass. Yeah. Um, and so it sucks. It explains why he's behaving so, so poorly. It doesn't justify like the things that he says to her. The things he says to her are bad. They're not good. The fact that he like does this in front of Aaron, like the whole thing is really, really messy and terrible. And she's well within his rights to like never want to be around him again. Um, it is, it is, it is, it is sloppy, uh, to be nice about it. It's really, really hard to watch and it's, it's tough. And I, and I think like, um, I actually, I do appreciate the flash forwards in so far as they got us into a place that like, did we need to see why Jack was the Jack through the looking glass? I would say, yeah. Yeah, I think it's I, I agree. I, I think it's important. I think it's important to see how far he's fallen. I think one of the things that's maybe a little hard about latter half lost is how um disconnected in time it is. Like I think that there's things about that that's great, but I think also like it can be a little hard like cuz you are left to do some of that chronologically lost work, hence the project chronologically lost existing at least to some degree that like you need to like you need to straighten out that line. You need to like rearrange the tapestry as I believe Damon and Carlton referred to it back in the day. Um but I think like it it's important to have this stuff so that like the circumstances of what Jack went through eventually that's going to take its toll on a human um but i think like to watch that happen to jack is very important to get you into the place of why he is going to be like who he is in the we have to go back moment why he's going to be who he is with jeremy bentham quote unquote why he's going to be the person who's so desperate and will do anything to get back to the island because he now does believe and worse of all he believes it's like too little too late it's it's a really powerful scene. Not exactly fun to watch, but Matthew Fox and Evangeline Lilly, Matthew Fox especially, again, he, he has sort of not had a lot of time to shine in season four, but when he's given that spotlight, he is going to burn the hell out of it. It is aggravating and miserable to watch Jack in this scene, but that's sort of the point. I 150% co-sign what you said. This is an essential flash forward in my opinion, because this is not just going to be, oh, well, Saeed uh, went in a downward spiral because Nadi is dead. There, this isn't just like one significant event that happened that turned Jack into this dark side. We needed to see the accumulation that happened, that it is a, a smattering of what came before in that Jack, due to the trauma with Sarah, has now become hypersensitive to anybody keeping secrets from him at all. Because he now believes that when you do, it can only mean something bad. Yeah. It's trauma from the island. Not only what they had to go through, but what they left behind and what they have to obscure to never necessarily lead a quote-unquote normal life. There is always 
baggage attacks. And then also a bit of like a worry about the future as well, right? Him realizing, oh, there could be a chance that I might be spiraling down. Hell, I might end up like my dad and remember how bad he was by the end of his life. It's a whole mishmash of complicated feelings. And that is why I really enjoy this episode is because it is such a meaty discussion and not in the Kevin Johnson variety. It's so (laughs) incredibly emotionally, psychologically complicated in a way that I don't think we've explored this character in quite some time. And it is certainly not fun to watch and it can be murky and it can be quite literally smoky. But damn, if shows like The Leftovers, another Damon Lindelof piece did not teach me that in that murky, complicated stuff can emerge some of the most interesting pieces of human psychology. And that's sort of what I got here. A little bit. I got a very leftovers type of scene from this. And it, it was really, I don't know, I, I was sort of like incensed watching this, even though Jack makes some terrible points. He says, Sawyer's not here. He made his choice. And we'll find out that choice, Josh, with Sawyer jumping out of a helicopter to save their lives. And Jack is now turning that again. Ships in the night. Like, Have I not said this a million times, right? That uh, Sawyer was the hero disguised as an asshole disguising himself as an asshole we should say right and jack the a-hole disguising himself as a hero and like that really comes out here you know helicopters in the broad daylight you know like it is like this moment where like he's remarking upon this incredibly heroic thing that sawyer did and after the days that he had right like you know running through the jungle protecting claire protecting the mother uh, like the biological mother of Kate's child uh, yeah. and uh, throwing himself off a helicopter after like trying to save everybody in New Otherton. Like he went through a lot. He uh, he meets up with Jack and Kate in the jungle. Uh, Jack decides to continue on after Kimi and Sawyer, who has already marched all the way across the island, chooses to immediately join back up with Jack. Like Sawyer is Sawyer is worthy of a lot of merit badges for this uh, season. I think uh, like it's uh, season five is like his his big one, but like this is a strong Sawyer season as well. Post yeah. Eggtown, certainly, and like this is what Jack has to say about that guy. It's really dark. It's very dark. It's very sad. There's something. There's something uh, really, really sad, tragic, dark, maybe even smoky exuding from Jack Shepard in this moment. Well, not to mention that then Jack follows it up with, well, I'm the one who saved you. I'm the hero. I'm the one who came back, which is terrible again, right? It's it's him doing exactly what Kate didn't want him to do, which is him pitting himself against Sawyer. This isn't isn't so far away, Mike, from, because you're mine. Yeah. You know, it's it's not that far away from Benjamin Linus, frankly. Which is why those two guys will surprisingly see eye to eye when it comes to coming back to the island, right? They like they both find a love in the island and Jack realizes it so much after the fact. Uh, And and it's just, you know, then then Kate says, you need to work, figure your problems out. And then Jack fires back with this ultimate insult of why do you care about this kid? He's not even your son. And it hurts on so many levels. We know how much emotional investment Kate has in Aaron's life. Arguably, he's the best thing to ever happen to her. We know that this is Jack holding this essentially above Kate. I don't know if Kate knows that Jack is Aaron's biological uncle, but that's essentially, I think, what Jack is insinuating right now. I think that she does. She's there. She's so close to the conversation in the church. And like all the body language suggests that she knows. 
Right. And so, you know, to have him essentially say, though, like, I know him, I like, I should take care of him because I am actually related to him. What do you do for him is so cutting cuts like a scalpel. And then on top of that, just the heartbreakingly adorable image of little Aaron standing in the hallway, clutching that stuffed orca. You know, Jack is now building generational trauma. And this is not necessarily, I think, that he saw from, like, uh, from Christian and Margot Shepard. I don't know if they really talked about that much about, like, you know, uh, art temper, tempers and argumentative notions between the two. But this is Jack creating another chaotic, negatively influenced household. And he, at the end of this, he ends up, you know, walking away, assumingly, like, walking out of the house. And this, again, is, is really what's going to start him moving out, taking up that apartment full of maps, and that's where we get to through the looking glass. The wet roast beef sandwich in the corner, yeah. Yeah, exactly, but I do wonder if maybe there is sort of this idea, sort of like what Sawyer did in the end of the flashbacks in Confidence Man, where Jack looks at Aaron and is like, oh my god, I do not want to create a toxic household because I'm the screwed up result of a toxic household, and I know what sort of negativity that breeds, and as a result, he he walks out of that again it's it's a it's a really complex terrible yet for me enthralling scene to watch yeah yeah uh fully co-signed on all of that all right well let's talk about another tough scene to watch let's uh terrible like seven course meal of scenes at the yeah. end here. no it's a difficult episode there's a lot to get through that's really challenging but i think like it's mostly done pretty well um let's get to it final scene of the episode we'll go to the jungle sawyer's gonna wake up and things are not exactly the way he left them when he went to sleep let's take a listen oh, morning it's way too early for Chinese. Where's Claire? Ladies' room? Nope. He just walked off into the jungle. What? When? In the middle of the night. Just got up and left. You let her go alone? She wasn't alone. Well, who was she with? She called him Dad. I'd have followed them, but I have a restraining order. guess it's only appropriate that the episode ends with Aaron crying. He's allowed to after what he endures in the future. And certainly uh, this isn't great either that he has suddenly gone missing. Uh, this is uh, brutal for me as well. Like the, I know. The, yeah, the I know. The final this is really image hard. of a baby being abandoned and Sawyer, uh, like Josh Holloway also really sells like the panic screams 
as well. Like they are so cutting to me, maybe even more than Aaron's cries because Aaron just randomly cries and coos whenever he wants to, apparently. But just the idea that Claire, who love it or hate it, up to this point was known as the woman with the baby, has now abandoned her child. What does that say about where Claire is going and specifically who Claire is going with? And it also is like a really big domino to fall. And I feel like this is really the first domino to fall in that line that will lead to us getting the Oceanic Six, right? Because the big question of when we found out at the end of Eggtown that Aaron was the one that Kate was talking to was, okay, how did he get separated from Claire? That's our answer, basically. And now things are going to start to come together over the next two episodes. That's going to lead to that particular configuration of six people plus Lapidus plus Desmond ending up leaving the island. So it's big in a number of ways. But I also say, God, Miles, you you asshole. <laughs> you asshole, Miles. Like, you, if you if you cared about her, you would still follow her. You wouldn't be like, well, technically, I got a restraining order, so I let her walk off into the jungle with a mysterious man who appeared by our side holding her baby. Sorry, yeah. dude. You told me, you told me, so I have to be literal. Yeah. Yeah, he's, uh, he's kind of a dingosaurus in this one. <laughs> like, like there's, there's a thing about proving something to someone, but there's also a thing about looking out for the good in people, and, and Miles was trying to be, I think, a good person the majority of this episode, but then, of course, he has to be a complete dingbat at the end and say, well, technically, you told me I had to stay away from her, so I let her walk away and disappear Did you deliberately use dingbat? Because Miles loves that word. He loves to call, I believe he calls Hurley at one point, a dingbat. Yeah, I'm going to use his own word against him. See, yeah. I'm rubber and you are glue, Miles. Yeah, very, very, very good. Um, I think this is a good episode of Lost. I, I, I really do. I think it's about on par with a lot of what has come in season four. On par Abby on. Uh, already for me. Um, so I'm, I'm going to rate this pretty consistently with like, I think it's at least as enjoyable. Enjoyable is a hard word. Uh, it's at, it's at least as worth, worthy of discussion as like GE on and the economist, as far as I'm concerned. So I'm, I'm rating it exactly there. I think like season four, um, there is like, it's, it's either like, fairly like middling to like weak quality like there's two episodes that i think are outright like i would mostly abandon there's one that i think is veering on that and then the rest are all like really good to like exceptional i think that this is in the really good category 3.5 a 3.5 from josh wickler i gave this a 3.6 overall slightly above the economist and slightly below Geon. I feel like it's actually in the same category as Geon, where I will not say that everything in this episode works, but the character work in this episode is, in my opinion, outstanding. Uh, I think it is really massively heavy, yet important performances from the characters that the flash bla- flashbacks slash flash forwards revolve around. I think the on-island stuff, while not exactly moving the plot forward completely, Ties up loose ends in the case of the affair stuff on Geon and the Jack Juliet stuff in this episode. They they sew it up, basically, and, and let it, you know, uh, close that wound and save it for a rainy day. And I think that's good to sort of, like, do away with maybe some of the stuff that had been built up in the more unsavory variety in the past couple seasons. Let that pus ooze out and then move on. And I think, there's there, again, there's a lot of really fun connections to events from the past. And events from the future. I'm happy for this brief interlude where we get to stop down 
between this and then like barreling forward with Cabin Fever and then obviously the action movie that is There's No Place Like Home. Because I find the flash forwards essentially incredibly important for the arc of Jack, especially especially after we leave the island. So I, I just think it's a very strong episode, strong but flawed episode overall. And I think that to me supersedes the like solid all around, nothing outstanding, but completely solid nature of The Economist. But I think it's below the just massive amount of feels of G. Eon gives me without the craziness. Sure. Totally so, fair. so I think I agree that I think those three episodes are really nicely grouped together. And I think this is sort of right in the middle. Right now, as I mentioned, real disparate set of ratings from our audience. Uh, it ranges, it ra- averages a 3.1. That leaves our average overall at the moment. Again, you can send in your ratings anytime before the season four ends. It's a 3.40, making it our number seven episode so far, right below The Economist and right above Meet Kevin Johnson. Yeah, so plenty of time to to raise that score or lower it. We have no idea. Uh, But I I think uh, I really loved talking it through. I think this is a a great one to talk through. We've talked through a lot of the feedback already, so we're good there. Let's do the MVP LVPs, Mike. Uh, I've got three MVPs. You've got two. You've got three LVPs. I've got two. Um, I'm going to give my first one to Kate. Ooh, okay. Give my first one to Kate. Um, she's just, uh, I, I think she in the, in the future endures a lot in that conversation, like handles it really well. Uh, given like the severity of it. Um, I think that that is a really, really challenging moment for that character. You know, she's really on board with just about everything on the island too. I think it's a strong, Kate Austin episode. So I'm going to give her a point. It's been a minute, I feel like, since I've given Kate uh, a plus one. Well, I'm going to give uh, a point to her plus one in the operating room. I'm going to give a point to Juliet here. Again, she comes back with an ovation, is able to successfully operate on Jack despite him yelling and bellowing for most of it. And she's able to also end things very amicably and say, all right, I'll move on. Hey, who's that? hunky looking uh, swarthy Han Solo type who's about to come back to camp. Maybe I should shack up with him yeah. sometime. Yeah, I nearly gave Juliet a point as well. I saw that you did, so I, I was I was good because I think that there's a bunch of people to give points to this week, uh, but I fully co-signed that for sure. Uh, I gave one to Bernard again. Yeah, Bernard. look at the, Bernard's got a streak. I believe like at nearly every episode he's appeared in so far in season four, he's getting a point. He remains in conversation. He's one of the top point leaders of season four. You know, he's he, I, I don't know if it's going to be able to happen for him, but he's done really well for himself. Three points overall with this plus one for Bernard. And I'll just quickly say uh, that that Juliet point was initially uh, going to be where I ended up with this one. I love my man, Frank Lapidus. He just bursts out of the jungle. He's like, y'all got to hide right now. And he's able to dupe Kami of all people. Yeah. Like, that's a point in the favor of Frank Lapidus. And frankly, uh, for one of my LVPs, it's a point away from Kimi. You get duped mm. in this moment like Kimi. You're like, you're supposed to be the bloodhound, man. There's a crying baby over there and you don't even know. And you just let Frank redirect you. Uh, so plus one for Frank, minus one for Martin Kimi. Yeah, I mean, he's a bloodhound, but he's no human lie detector. That is for sure. So we have one more MVP point left on the board. I know that you quibble with his deal making, but I'm going to give it to Jin here. Jin is right on the money, picking up the small, subtle cues that Charlotte is giving away and then using that information to leverage a deal to get Sun off the island. Again, 
maybe attaching himself as a writer to the deal was not the best idea in retrospect, even though he does end up getting on the chopper anyway with them. So it's it's not like, you know, it really prevented anything from happening, but it's a very badass moment from Jin, and I, I greatly appreciate that. Uh, all right, so let's get into the LVPs. I've already given one to Kimi. Um, I guess I gotta give one to Jack. And yeah, I don't, I'll, I'll, I take I'll no, join you there. I take no pleasure in it. I take zero pleasure in this LVP point for Jack. That's two LVP points to Jack. Um, you think the, like, relax with the, like, you gotta let go, Jack. Like, let them take your don't, appendix Josh, out. Don't say that. We're gonna get a really irate call from him, uh, next podcast. I mean, that's the, here's the thing is that this episode was made to make Jack an LVP almost. It's, it's fire plus water like in that regard and that it's very purposefully, dragging a character down to the doldrums of morality and emotionality so that we could eventually build them back up. But I think that you have to plumb the depths first, especially to get Jack to the point that he was in in the season three finale. And I think, unfortunately, it's just 42 minutes of really unsavory Jack, both on and off the island. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, it's a bad look for your guy, but it is definitely deliberate. And I think it's important. And I think like this, uh, this had to happen. We had we yep. had to get to this place. Yeah, exactly. So I have two other LVP points, and they're both going to freighters. Charlotte, you just had to not even open your mouth. You just had to exchange those furtive glances every time the Quans were talking, and you gave away your hand. Nobody knew how multilingual you were. And also on top of that, you're definitely listen. Uh, I'm I'm, I'm going to take Faraday's side here. You're comping a bad attitude with this stuff. I know. It's not great being suspected of being so untrustworthy from all these people, but you're not going to make any more friends the way that you do. You catch more flies with honey than with vinegar, and she is a lot of vinegar right now. And he's a latecomer, but I, you know, dug in on him in the very last scene. Ironically enough, he's the one who finds the shallow graves. My final point goes to Miles as he continues his own uh, trip down the bottom of the LVP list for him purposely withholding information about Claire leaving with the man in black just to, to give it to Sawyer. It's not great. It's not great. So he's like at the, he's anchoring the, the bottom of the list this season alongside, believe it or not, John Locke. Will that change next week with cabin fever, cabin fever, the final, uh, the final flashback of the season, uh, uh, penultimate John Locke flashback. I don't know what you call the life and death of Jeremy well, Bentham. That's the thing is that I think what I am most interested in seeing in this episode is realizing in retrospect that this is going to be the final ode to John Locke, really. And I think it's not coincidental that the flashback is this really odd John Locke, this is your life sequence, right? Where it's vignettes throughout his life. It's not told normally And I think in hindsight, that makes so much sense, given this is really the last time we are going to ruminate on John Locke before everything goes haywire in so many ways for this guy and the man who inhabits his body. So this will kind of be like the final lap for John Locke in a flashback variety. And I'm intrigued to see if the flashbacks take on a different meaning in that regard when you look at it through that lens. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. I'm I'm curious to talk it through. Again, I think my take is that like, Cabin Fever is about the same level of good as something nice back home, which apparently for me is pretty good. So yeah. I am excited to talk about it. I think it's going to be fun. Uh, some great Hurley moments. Uh, Hurley and Ben eating a chocolate bar together is classic. So there's some there's some really fun stuff coming up in the episode. 
ahead and also we'll be able to start doing like some time travel stuff too which is fun uh you know we can yeah, get in the, com- the compass rears its ugly needle there's that there's the you know there's like the richard alpert piece there's also like now we get, i believe it's dr ray is gonna die in this one too yeah he is mm-hmm. so uh we'll also get to say goodbye to the captain who is just a total whatever character uh so yeah i'm, I'm excited to talk about it i think it's gonna be a really fun time if it's anything like this week mike we're gonna have an absolute blast uh talking no, the absolute through blast comes fever. in the finale right that's coming in the finale uh for sure all right so cabin fever coming up Next, your feedback, as always, down the hatch at postshowrecaps.com. You can also hit us up on the Twitters at a Mike Bloom type at Round Howard. Um, beyond that, you can hit us up in the Discord. Think about it. It's the start of a new month here. This is the best time, by far and away the best time, to sign up for the Patreon. You get your so much bang for your buck when you start at the beginning of the month so consider it patreon.com slash post show recap so don't you want to talk about lost with me and mike mm-hmm. we'll talk about it with you as much as you want come join us in the patreon in the discord be a be a member of that sweet sweet discord community we, we will talk about lost all day every single day maybe not every single day and maybe not all day but we'll definitely talk about it with you it'll be super fun there's so much other stuff going on there there's casino shenanigans we've got a casino if you didn't know that we've got dungeons and dragons happening we've got brant steels we've got an incredibly uh i believe that the 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 phrase that's been coined uh is um aggressively positive community uh mm. <laughs> in in the discord where they will support you and you will know it um so it's a really wonderful place strong recommend patreon.com slash post show recaps it's patreon.com slash post show recaps mike cabin fever coming next we're so close to the end of the line here with season four and another reason why you should become part of the post show recaps discord is that uh every week We will give you a reminder that due to our new recording schedule, you will want to watch and send in your feedback for that week's particular episode. And again, as we stated before, currently we're going to be recording podcasts nine days before release. So not to the Wednesday, two days before the podcast release, but the week before just due to scheduling. So that being said, you know, it's already too late at the time you're listening this, this to send in feedback for our Cabin Fever podcast. Definitely cabin fever thoughts for the feedback show. But right now, you're going to want to be tucking into that delicious three-hour finale that is There's No Place Like Home once you listen to this podcast. Which I think you and I have said we're not going to do the crazy Exodus thing. We'll we'll do uh, the first hour and then we'll do the two. So two podcasts for the finale. And especially because this one was significantly broken up just due to whatever scheduling issues part one aired and then two weeks passed and then parts two and three aired. So part one really does, does feel so separate on its own that I think we can treat it like two installments. So oh, you it, works, with- it works so well as a single entity, but Mike, I don't, I don't got five hours to sit down and record a podcast right now. So we'll have to do it this way. But the, I think like it'll, it'll, it'll be great. It'll be a, a really fun conversation. Uh, and of course it will really help guide that season four wrap up show that we'll do after that. So in a way, it's almost like we're going to get three podcasts about the finale. Yeah, exactly. So send in all of your feedback, even if it's about episodes that you were just listening to. We'll get to to it all, whether it's on the episodes proper or in the, the feedback show. But usually 
we'll be recording these nine days in advance. And I'll also give a nice little tip off to people that are in the Post Show Recaps patron discord, just as a quick reminder to watch the episode and get in your feedback. And we got a good fun amount of feedback on that note in for this episode. So keep them coming, folks. We love the hatchlings. Yeah, so, there was so great much. feedback this week. This is a really fun podcast about a tough episode, Mike. So as always, thrilled to have uh, have have the space to to do this show with you every single week. Always always a pleasure. Um, next week, I can't wait to hear what song you've got for us. Sorry to like spoil that, but like that's the tradition. At this yeah. point, we know it's gonna be well, disappointing no, that, if there's no song. I mean, at this point, it's an EP, let alone a song. <laughs> yeah. So we'll hear uh we'll hear that at the start of next week. Until then everybody, see you later. Bye-bye. Four, eight, 15, 16, 20, 40, 40, 40, 40, 40, 40, 40, 40, 40, 40, 40, 40, 40, 40, 40, 40, 40, 40, 40, 40, 40, 40, 40, 40, 40, 40, 40, 40, 